Well, hello. Welcome uh, to another session of the Corona Committee. It's our 142nd meeting. It's called Drawing Dead, which is a poker term, which means that you have no chance of winning no matter what else you draw, whatever you put on the table. I'm not a poker player myself, but I uh, realized at some stage that we're in a situation I uh, still have uh, Klaus Schwab's words ringing in my ears that uh, uh, they'll have to try to uh, face the uh, wind blowing in their faces in order to win. Um, but I get the feeling that they can only draw blanks uh, right now anymore. So we'll see whether this actually will come to pass. And um, we do have rather poetic titles for our sessions. And our committee manager, Corbin, shares my poetic uh, tendency. And um, he participates in um, the process of defining the next, of finding the next uh, title. And it always is pretty fast. Uh, this process is because we um, play back and forth to find these titles. Let me talk about what's in store for us today. We have a strategic analyst and former ministerial counselor in the Austrian Ministry of Defense with us. We speak against um, on the Russia-Ukraine conflict against the background of the latest revelations and who planned and carried out the basis of the, the blasts. But um, there are some interesting um, findings there that become ever clearer. And we also speak about the uh, geostrategic, international, legal, and historical background of the conflict. Then we have a specialist for internal medicine who was acquitted yesterday, um, both in, uh, also in Austria, in a case uh, in which he was accused of fraud and usurpation of authority for issuing vaccination certificates. So. We hear from uh, James Corbett, as James Corbett uh, says, from the horse's mouth, we will hear directly what's happening there. Then we'll have an engineer with us, and he's also a grassroots member of um, uh, the Basis um, political party, and he'll speak about the upcoming repeat election in Berlin and the uh, visit to the Council of Europe's election supervisory body, in which I will also uh, participate and we'll see what uh, should be done uh, going forward. Uh, to uh, improve our opportunities because we can see a lot of impediments uh, in our chances of being elected. Then we have a founder of an independent U.S. research group who has been looking at a specific um, a problem with the um, a COVID-19 vaccine, so-called vaccine, and she will speak about the fan, uh, findings on severe menstrual uh, cramps after a vaccination and new findings on shedding. And then we'll have a lawyer who will spiel on the possibility of um, claiming damages for vaccination victims, not only under civil law, but also under criminal law, and that also um, touches on the possibility of using the so-called adhesion procedure. We touched on it last week, but uh, we couldn't speak on it uh, about it in detail. We had to postpone it for technical reasons. Um, it's important because this adhesion procedure is free of charge. Um, and so it's interesting for anyone, any vaccination victim who doesn't want to uh, run a financial risk. Um, and we have Wolfgang Wodak with us, who has been our uh, medical advisor. Hello, Wolfgang. Hello, hello together. Hello, Wolfgang. Yes, we had our first uh, meeting together, uh, learning from the 
um, swine flu and the swine flu um, committee of investigation and many of the things that went down at the time um, were repeated and were confirmed here. Now another um, statements um, on our own behalf because we are still uh, looking for donations because our problems with Rainer Fülmich haven't been sorted yet. So it would be very helpful if you could uh, consider sponsoring us um, in order to enable us to continue because we're still looking at uh, important tasks going forward. Now, let me speak um, with the first task, uh, Monika Donner. Hello, Monika. Hello. It's good to see you. Um, maybe you can um, introduce yourself, um, said a few words already, but maybe you want to add to that? Yes, I'll try to be brief. I'm a legal expert, I'm an analyst and a coach, and I have had three trainings and this allows me to see patterns in life and compensate them and I like to give people impulses to develop the whole uh, potential in life which is the best way to handle the situation that we have in the outside world it is the best way to do this we and this is not just uh, talk it is um, been going on for a long times violations of uh, the Austrian constitution since 2006 and 2009 I um, had the indirect uh, force of um, operation um, for women who don't want to be women this may not be of interest for many people but it shows uh, the um, forces that people are restricted to and now immediately this indirect uh, indirect uh, vaccination um, mandate has uh, shown uh, you what has happened the massive the message is that you don't have to get vaccinated but uh, you have to and you can and one of the reasons is uh, one of the point in my credentials is I was a, a key figure in the Austrian resistance against uh, Corona and um, I have proven in many demonstrations that we have never had a pandemic and uh, Dr. Bhakti, Dr. Vodak said this quite rightly, there is nothing the emperor is without clothes and uh, Wolfgang uh, is uh, the person who I uh, quote him in Corona Dictatorship the book was uh, brought out early. It wasn't mentioned in the uh, main media. And uh, finally, I worked in the um, uh, defense ministry, um, and they wanted to kick me out, although they didn't read the, the book. And um, we came to an agreement, so I know how to fight back. And now I do this uh, as the main job to do what I used to do before. Um, educate people about crisis, <clears throat> get people to come to their powers <clears throat> and compensate it and show them how to do it. And many people who woke up in Corona now wonder what does that have to do with the Ukraine? And I can say everything. It is the red thread that goes through everything. Let's connect the dots and see 
That's even the same people, partially behind the same suppression patterns, the same uh, psychoterror that's going on. Uh, so there can't be any doubt that this is a partiture that people are playing on to suppress the people. Well, absolutely, yes. Many things could be seen previously. For instance, the uh, lobby-like uh, interweaving and um, uh, the um, connections within what was called the industrial uh, military complex. And we can see it here again. And it has been shifted to um, from weapons to um, so-called vaccines with a um, potential for harm. And we had heard already that the um, approval uh, conditions under this other transaction authorities' uh, approval that they didn't have to um, undergo any um, testing anymore because they could uh, serve a military purpose under certain circumstances. And so um, all sorts of things have been uh, suspended, of course. Yes. Apart from the legal situation, we've never had a countermeasure situation. We need a countermeasure activity uh, to enable the lawmakers to restrict our light. And this is something that we've never had because one knew since January, um, uh, the latest February, the vulnerable patients, how to protect on a voluntary basis. And it was known, uh, the incidency, the valency, it was known that this is not a killer virus. This was clear quite from the beginning. The first Chinese documents presented this quite clearly. Who are the vulnerable patients? It is a medium-sized flu, and if you add this, um, which is given in my uh, Freedom book, <clears throat> um, what's the uh, influenza deaths, um, deaths? Now we've had in the before, we get exactly the same figures as for COVID. There is no way around it. It was illegal. Whether it was the vaccinations that are harmful is not just by telescoping the production situation from 100% to 10%, and that there is uh, no clinical phases in between this and the prior phase. The results could not be um, implemented. So that's a medical blind flight, really, and the studies of the manufacturers in 2020, I put that in the Corona Dictatorship book, <clears throat> that this is, first of all, not effective, and secondly, legally not safe, and that means in the patient it causes damages. You can see that from the product description of the um, manufacturers. I've been called a conspirational theorist, but no, um, if I am then I'm not, but the manufacturers are. So to put it in a nutshell, it is not safe and it's not effective and there's no reason to spread this dirt into the population. And I've been saying this for two years. I call it dirt and um, I have never been um, prosecuted because I simply showed the truth. It's very simple. Yes, man. 
Well, okay, let's um, move on from this finding uh, resulting from COVID now that we're dealing with a uh, failure of state entities that, supposed, that are supposed to um, protect us and have been hollowed out. We can see now that in Ukraine or in this conflict, whatever you call it, that a uh, few things are happening that are quite intransparent where we where things may be happening that are different from what they um, try to tell us in the mainstream medium and um, by the politicians who tell us something about this what are your findings in this context well one should know one's past in order to learn for the present and a nation like germany um, and the neutral austria supplying arms and support to ukraine against russia for the first time since 45 one should wonder whether it does make sense or whether it's not self-destructive can you send tanks for peace or for the same reason can you inject uh, something into yourself to um, stop an attack uh, so you see it's getting more and more mad and this is why why 90% of the people are dictated by 1% of the people and the masses simply don't arise not even the critical mass of 10% and to talk about Ukraine, I've announced this 2015, and in May 2015, I have <clears throat> given the government a very small analysis, provocative uh, title, God bless you, Protiv. I gave this to the parliament, to all political partners and parties. If the West keeps on uh, provoking and passes the red line in Ukraine, there will be a Russian-Ukraine war like the Amen in church. And it's not because uh, somebody is bad, because people start the fire in the background, and we know from geostrategic understanding that London and Washington have quite clear plans since 1902. They want to rule Eurasia indirectly. They want to have a global island. Let me show you a map, if I may. I hope it's going to work. Let me show my screen. Can you see the map? Well, can you, you have to open this before you uh, sh share the screen with us. Okay, let me do it again. You should see it now. Here you go, yeah. So what we see here is the so-called world island. That is the geo, uh, American geostrategician since um, Sir Hulford Mack, um, Brzezinski, and the strategic forecast, um, George Friedman, who confirmed this 2015. So the islands, as they call it, um, US and uh, um, Britain, which are much smaller than the mass of uh, Eurasia and Africa, which is the world island, this is what they want to control. And the indirect, uh, you control that indirectly. If you have control over the heart country, this is the gray area. 
um, of the former Soviet Union, a bit more, and this area, this heart piece, you control that if you indirectly control Eastern Europe. The key to global power, that's what the Anglo-American geostrategists tell us for over 100 years, you control the world if you control Eastern Europe, and this is what it's all about. And if you, um, that if you see that after the Second World War, immediately after the bad Germany, the evil Germany and Austria with it, the evil German Reich was defeated. The next enemy immediately was the Soviet Union, taking us back to Russia. The Americans are very open about saying their strategy is to say Russia and Germany must not come together. Because if German techniques, technology, funding, and intellectual power is combined with Russian resources and finds a teamwork, a cooperation, then the, uh, they will uh, dominate the global power in Eurasia. There won't be any war on country. There would be a common uh, military force which is powerful, and this is what the Anglo-American forces have to prevent and that is the defense of the American coasts. They are now already defending it at the next coast in order to stop the building up of big fleets on the other side by um, preventing them from building ship, by making sure that there's small wars going on at the whole time who have no cultural or resources um, reasons to fight war. And that's the proof in Ukraine crisis. There's no a cultural, no economic reason why Russia and Germany should have a conflict. This has to be made artificially, and that's what the Anglo-American geostrategists, and I'd like to quote Joe, um, uh, Friedman on YouTube, the, he says, the truth is, the goal is of the two world wars is to divide Russia from Germany. That's the ancient fear of Americans, and that's the pressure of the European crisis and if you wonder where is the connection why does corona committee do a session on ukraine it's easy to explain because the propaganda is similar the effects are very similar in the ukraine war corona uh, madness it's a uh, stupidity really um, uh, the biggest coup in the history of mankind and the background uh, that uh, this is the individual right of self-determination of the individuals who uh, is determined and taken away in the Ukraine war the obvious reason for the war is to uh, take the um, self-independence and the self-determination of the states away from the state. And this is, um, everybody knows this, is Jus Kogans. That is mandatory right, a natural right, which is um, anchored by the right of birth, which can't be reduced and cut. If uh, people decide to move from one state to another, then these people have to get every support. 
This is even given in um, international law. It is confirmed, and these contracts have been signed by the USSR and the following um, entity uh, of the Russia and Ukraine. So, the, what are the people that we talk about? We talk about the uh, Russian minorities in Krim, in Donbass, and so on. And there's even U.S. American researchers, like the Pew Research Center, who confirm that, first of all, 90% of the Russian minorities and the non-minorities in Ukraine, in the eastern Ukraine, want separation from Ukraine and integration in the Russian Federation, 90% of the population. And they were just and rightful. And this um, referendum should be executed. And uh, that is what even American research institutes confirm. So we have a part of the Russian minority who wants to join the Russian Federation, quite legitimate. Just imagine the small for Albert in Austria, we know we are um, Germans. We have more to do with the Swiss than with the um, uh, the Eastern people, rather less than with more than with the Vienna people. And if more than 50% of the people want us to be separated from Austria and go to Switzerland, and Switzerland agree, uh, then uh, Austria can do what it wants. It has to be executed. And that's it. And the same situation applies here um, in the Ukraine. Russian minorities and even 30% of the regular non-Russian population in these areas say they want separation from Ukraine, they want to be part of the Russian Federation, and they. it's not relevant what the West says about it. It's the self-determinants of the people, and this has to be followed suit. And that is exactly what the Western propaganda fights against the same political machinery that um, told us that you can protect others by taking the air away from yourself with a mask, by getting jabs that make you sick. It's the same propaganda machinery that's going on, and we have to be aware of that. If you take a closer look at what's happening there now, then it's um, easy to uh, look at the past when it went well. Um, I'm from Northern Germany. Germany, near the Danish border, where there are uh, several uh, national minorities, Danish uh, minorities in Germany and German uh, minorities in Denmark, and there was a referendum there. And um, ever since, both have been peacefully um, um, living side by side um, so that Danes can go to German language schools and Germans can go to Danish speaking schools. And there is an institute that looks at these minorities. In the uh, Council of Europe, the protection of national minorities is one of the most important issues. And that is something where um, parliaments uh, from all European countries agreed. And I remember at the times when Germany and Russia 
went to great uh, lengths to um, co cooperate and to benefit from each other. That was when the pipelines were built, when economic uh, exchange between Germany and Russia blossomed. IKEA had its furniture built in Russia. There were many companies that went back and forth. It was very fruitful and very good for all of us. And that is what um, Chancellor Schroeder instigated at the time. Uh, I was able to um, participate in a German-Russian um, summit um, with uh, Putin and Schroeder. And uh, you felt like, OK, at last, the war is over. Um, people aren't at loggerheads. They're, they don't agree on everything, but at least they talk in a civilized manner to each other. That was the way to do politics in Europe, to negotiate and to shape things. And if I look at how this was torpedoed, how uh, the how Ukraine um, abused the uh, Russian minority and how uh, Ukrainians uh, were uh, transplanted to the eastern part of Ukraine. They were placed there in order to boil up unrest. And that is the usual U.S. tactics that they have done in other countries as well to foster um, disagreement so that they can come in to um, bring in, um, to, to pacify people again. I think that the Ukrainians are great, the Russians are great, um, and I find it horrible that these people have to suffer so much from this. And Zara Wagenknecht, um, together with Alice Schwarzer, started an initiative calling on everyone to sign a petition to immediately start peace negotiations and that we stop delivering weapons to these areas. The Green Party always had one of their main tenets, no weapons into uh, war uh, zones, and now they want to deliver ever more arms to this war zone. I don't know how you can vote for such a party. I don't care about political parties anymore. But I have to say this initiative by Zara Wagenknecht is great, and I can only call on everyone to support this. I can only in, um, call on everyone to bring pressure to bear on um, politicians to start peace negotiations immediately. Anyone who delivers weapons to Ukraine is uh, instigating murder. Quite, quite right. And if we assume that these 128 Leopard tanks are going to be delivered by Germany, that's the old version. It's just a symbolic uh, act, really, that is to involve Germany into the war on the from the point of view of the U.S. guided war, and that can have a very realistic effect on Germany. For example, the Russian Federation, if Putin were just as half as mad as people say, he said he could simply uh, terminate the two plus four contract, and uh, it's a performer. Uh, peace contract. We know it's not a real peace contract, 
And so they could say, okay, the rest of arms since uh, 45 is gone. Germany is at war with us. I assume that the, Germ the Russian Federation is not going to do that because uh, from military strategic view, their strongest partner is China. But we know it's a, a communist criminal regime and they're just waiting for the Chinese Bolshevism to spread over the world. That's the doctrine and uh, <clears throat> also the cultural uh, culturism. So if um, Russia spends all this power, the Russian Federation has to make sure that the former strategic partner doesn't uh, fall back on Russia. So there is a certain sensitivity that they need to do, and that's what the Russian Federation does. Of course, I'm against war. I am. Uh, I wasn't official at the war, and uh, I wanted to protect my uh, country. That's why I took a uniform uh, many years ago. And if I look at what the Russian Federation is doing with old war T-72, these ancient tanks, first of all, uh, slowly, no concerted weapon systems that uh, work together. Very primitive action. It's really like using the residual ammunition and the Western propaganda sets and said, this is the big uh, attack. No, that was so carefully and slowly done as possible for Russia not to be the devastating destroyer, but as the um, company as the uh, country asked for help. And if you know that Russia roughly has 25,000 um, armored uh, vehicles and 20% of these work and the um, secret armata, the most modern uh, tanks uh, worldwide, you don't know how many there are. Um, so that could be 5,000 more tanks moving towards the Rhineland. If um, Russia were as mad as is said, Russia could take to the Rhine in a week with the potential, and the West would not have anything else against nuclear arms against this. And the big risk is that um, the West has a um, protective umbrella against Russia for nuclear arms. And uh, I um fault against uh, five other discussion members um, on 9-11, and they said Putin is a mass uh, murderer and so on. And years ago, we've said that as a defense minister, he talked to the chancellor at the time, saying that a NATO exercise um, by they asked, the US asked to implement that should the Russian approach, then the eastern, the east German cities have to be um, um, atomized by nuclear arms in order to stop the approach of the Russians. So just imagine, where was the uh, outcry in Germany? Even the First World War, 
um, was a criminal act on the Germans, which has been proven. There's books on this. Um, so I have proven this um, planned in London eight years prior to the outbreak of the war. That was the first disaster. And then following that, the Second World War, the Cold War and the Ukraine War, as Gorbachev said, since 2015, we are potentially looking at the Third World War. It's ongoing already. I don't want to uh, be over pessimistic here, but we do have uh, we do uh, deal with people who actually consider the use of nuclear weapons in the U.S. Senate. There are people who say we have nuclear weapons. Why don't we use them? Well, the main strategy for all the years have been has been that we are in fear. They've, we've been fear-driven again and again, and fear has been mongered all the time. So what about the uh, idea if Klaus Schwab says, well, Putin was a global young leader with us. He was part of our troop. And, uh, and we have all got our people in the governments. What if all these things happen now and it takes longer and longer? Everybody's a bit of this. The arms uh, industry can sell everything that they want and they deliver the scrap to the Ukraine. They sell it to Africa and so on. So there's things going on that can be done now. And... And people die every day. Hundreds of thousands of people die. And uh, just like COVID-19, the damage is done by the vaccination. So now there's real damage caused and they don't care a shit. So it's being boiled up and kept boiling so that we talk about it and that we are fearful. And meanwhile, they build up something completely different. They build up uh, the WHO for the big health uh, monitoring organization, and they can then determine what we are allowed to do and what not. And they determine when we have an emergency and when not. We've heard this quite clearly here. And also, uh, there is a new digital world currency that's being uh, established to give us, put us under total control. And and um, in all these are the things that are behind this, and it's being becoming more and more visible. And they are quite open about it. They are quite open, saying Schwab says, and he's always boasting on the great things that they do. And that we put up with this is simply because we are afraid of these war and the virus and everything that they take to Carson Zephyr. There's an extra bird flu coming around. Have you heard of it? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> um, dangerous sea variant from China is coming as well. The funny thing is, how do they know that there is a pandemic coming around? Before, nobody knew it. How do they know it ahead? I don't understand. <laughs> well, I think we have a short video that would um, match this very well on Bill Gates. Um, if you could uh, play it briefly. briefly. Wir haben ja gerade von No, the evidence is is very clear that it's naturally caused. Um, you know, it's a a bad virus and we're going to have natural epidemics and sadly we may have some unnatural epidemics in the future. 
Ja, sagt er wieder mit diesem suffisanten äh, Lächeln, haben wir, glaube ich, an anderer Stelle auch schon mal gesehen. Ähm, Monika, ich habe gerade noch mal eine Frage, die noch mal einen Schritt zurückgeht. Ähm, das ist ja immer, wird ja immer gesagt, dass die Ukraine... It's always said that Ukraine is the, the grain chamber of Europe and uh, possibly um, in the areas that are subject to the separation, there's quite a bit of countryside in this. And we know that I think Dupont and Monsanto, who are strongly invested there, maybe other players as well. Maybe is it also about if that fell to Russia, <clears throat> that there is other legal rules for investments and operating these uh, country, uh, this agricultural uh, area? Is it about keeping this together? Yes, of course. And may I add by way of explanation, that um, it really fit very well. The fear uh, was created because there are narcissists and uh, uh, idiots who uh, would actually press the button uh, to fire nuclear weapons. They are quoted then to put uh, the fear of the Lord into people. The reason behind it is that 1% of the world population dominate the remaining 99%. And this Domination is only possible because 99% uh, of people are kept um, busy with work and family and uh, with fear, but not um, with the actual uh, dangers they're surrounded by. And as they are fear-controlled, um, is due to the fact that um, an attempt is made to direct them into a certain direction. The Euro uh, Ukrainian... Um, conflict is only a part of this process of taking people from the B dictatorship, i.e. the bureaucratic uh, dictatorship to the C dictatorship, COVID dictatorship, uh, all the way to the D dictatorship, the digital dictatorship. With all this nonsense of um, uh, digital um, currency that has been implemented on 10% of the central banks of the world already without a real value behind it, um, with this so-called uh, unconditional basic income. If that is introduced, if people uh, go along with this, then uh, we're done with freedom for the time being. We have to realize that. I believe that they won't be able to implement it because more and more people are waking up. But um, the risk, there is a risk um, that people accept it if we have hyperinflation, if we have a uh, an enforced um, mortgage on all sorts of uh, properties, then people might go uh, with it. So we might say, okay, we will uh, start from scratch. We introduce a digital um, currency. You get a fundamental income, a basic income, unconditional income, um, everybody who is unemployed, and then everybody's hunky-dory. I think that's what it's all about, and everything else, uh, the things, Ukraine, uh, COVID dictatorship, etc., that have been uh, going down and are still going down, serve to um, put fear into people and to distract them, distract from the fact that we are being governed by incompetent or corrupt politicians, and I don't want to make people angry, but I want people to I want to kick people's ass so that that get going, so that people say, okay, I will develop my potential, unfold my potential, and I network with people who think the way I do. And this potential is re redirected to internal strife so that people start uh, fighting over, oh, yes, the uh, 
evil Russians, etc. It's still the um, picture that we've had since the First World War. Uh, so that uh, the 1% uh, people who uh, rule or point 1% um, as has been written by one um, pr professor of sociology in Germany, that this uh, small group of people continue benefiting from all crises in the world. And we're not talking about Jews and Freemasons here. Let's move away from this Nazi um, sort of um, framing. It is obviously Anglo-Saxon Protestants who are the puppeteers here, people like Klaus Schwab and um, Bill Gates. So people behind this are um, nominal, nominal Protestants, Anglo-Saxons, they're certainly not very um, uh, religious, and they say it quite openly. It's not a, a conspiracy. It is a, a practice that is being implemented openly in front of our eyes. Could you? Uh, comment on that uh, agricultural land situation which I just mentioned. This is economic interest. Uh, you have kind of answered the question. It's the economic interests that uh, fight against doing this under a different regime, isn't it? Well, the previous regime in Ukraine, the legitimate regime, um, mind you, was pro-Russian. After a coup d'etat um, caused, instigated by the West, confirmed by eight CIA um, officers um, who actually wrote an open letter to Ms. Merkel in 2015, do you realize that this coup d'etat was financed by uh, the West in order to install an illegal government represented by the current president who is absolutely anti-Russian? So the West promotes or has an, a covert operation to stage a coup d'etat in Ukraine. And of course, it's about economic interest as well. Yes, Ukraine is a um, breadbasket. It is the um, uh, turntable for oil and gas. And uh, let's move back to, um, the, uh, to, um, begin, to the beginnings. Eastern Europe that you need to dominate if you want to um, drive a wedge between Germany and uh, Russia. And Germany is the gravitational center of Europe, economically speaking. That's how all geostrategists see it. And you have to disturb it. You have to drive a wedge between Russia and Germany so that they will not cooperate won't have a basis for cooperation anymore. This is the clearly defined objective. And then you have two um, cons uh, conclusions that result from this. First of all, it's about dominating Eurasia indirectly uh, by avoiding a, a cooperation between Germany and Russia. And it's about the preparation uh, as it is happening right now for the strong economic um, power of the U.S. to sell their fracking gas and their nuclear power here. And I um, said that in my book that I uh, published in 2015, and I um, presented it to the government. I was considered a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I was handled, uh, I was uh, considered a um, conspiracy theorist for years. 
It's not, now I'm considered to be a prophetic. I'm none, I'm just an analyst. And I look at who has which objectives and what are the means they employ in order to pursue those objectives and what can we expect for the future. And this is uh, what I've summarized in this uh, book in uh, Freiheit, Free Today, um, to say what can we expect uh, by 2030, mass inflation, uh, ethnic conflict, mass immigration, etc. All of this to foster fear um, and to exert indirect control and what, more importantly, what is the way out of this? The way out is that individuals take action and no longer focus on uh, countries like Ukraine and listen to their hearts saying, okay, we're Europeans, we should stick together. Russian-German uh, cooperation has long been uh, started and the Anglo-Americans need to be banished back to their islands where they belong. And Eurasia should be the world's leading economic power. And uh, the individual uh, needs to say at the end of the day, what's my contribution that I can make? Well, my contribution is not to allow myself to be um, pressurized by the meter anymore, uh, terrorized by the meter anymore, but that I pass on the knowledge that I've garnered um, to people in my environment, that's the answer. What we are being put through is an old war tactic, really. In the earlier days, the generals, Alexander the Great, um, traveled the countryside and they had the mercenaries which had to be paid. So the countries that were, they went through, they robbed them, got the money to pay the mercenaries to go where they could get me money again. And they're doing the same thing now. Um, all the people who are fighting with them, the fight that we don't see as a war, which we see as the overwhelming of the society, that leads to people getting really, really rich. These are the people who sell the masks, who go along, who think it's very important, politicians who uh, played along and the ones who uh, are allowed to sell the jabs. Now, if you see how the chancellor uh, crawls up the ass of that biontech boss, it's incredible. Uh, how stupid have they got to be to do that? So they really get billions pushed up their rear end. And uh, what Germany got ordered in terms of jabs is enough to um, cover the whole cost, all the costs of all dentist um, uh, patients in Germany. It's the same amount. It's a massive amount. And in Ukraine, well, it's again the people who open their hands and uh, say, okay, we buy the countryside and um, uh, Gates know how to, knows how to spend this money and Monsanto are there in the business. And they can simply get the money and get the uh, countryside and all the small uh, companies that go bankrupt now, they're simply bought up. They get the monopolies for the future. And then the very important com companies are the data companies, the companies that allow us to sit here together and talk, for example, by the internet. Of course, they collect everything that they can about us and they can sell it. They know who we are, what we do, what our habits are, and that can be used economically. They collect this and that's pure money. It's massive amounts of money in terms of data. And this is why they're happy to go along. Now in this war, which we can't see as the war as it is, they can um, 
get rich and richer and strong and stronger. Everybody who plays on is bribed, and the doctors, who knows what stupidity is, who learnt their craft, they play along, they get 30 euros for every jab and for every swipe they've got 15 euros. The hospitals get 100 euros extra if they put, if they label COVID-19. And um, they're all bribed and everybody who was bribed once and went along uh, don't dare to speak up now and uh, commit to their errors that they've made. Right, that's the cognitive dissonance. It's a perfect institutionalized corruption that's going on at a massive large scale, and that's it. Yes, on the one hand, we have the corrupt ones, the few uh, politicians who knew about it at the, from the get-go, and then we have the masses who just went along, and now, rightly, are afraid of being um, prosecuted um, under criminal law. And in uh, my book, The uh, Corona Dictatorship, I demanded already a um, tribunal, a corona uh, tribunal, um, like or um, along the lines of the Nuremberg trials, because this has uh, been to the ben economic benefit of um, a few individuals um, limiting people's uh, right to move. Uh, people had to wear masks. Uh, children were to be um, vaccinated. And uh, the, the Minister of Health, what's his name? Uh, yes, Karl uh, uh, It was un unacceptable. His politics policies show actually who are the people who take our rights away. That's unbearable, really. And of course, about 60% of the population by uh, 22 uh, were unhappy with the media and with politicians. So. Uh, we're on tracks to um, avoid not only full uh, digital dictatorship by 2025, but also extending, expanding our freedom. And uh, we need to have the critical 10% to get active. Uh, and it's not 10% that I came up with, but uh, researchers at Harvard University who uh, looked at um, the um, black movement in the US and back in the 60s, and they found what was the tipping point. Well, the police aren't in favor of us, uh, the media aren't in favor of us, Martin Luther King was murdered, Jesus won't uh, come down from heavens to help us, we have to help ourselves. And when they took that decision in day-to-day -day life to fight for their own rights peacefully, things um, changed radically, 10% are enough for that. But um, that is good uh, because it gives us hope because we who are fighting for truth, for authenticity, for freedom and self-determination, that is much more attractive for the, the uh, bulk of people who are still undecided than um, uh, opting for uh, forced collectivism. But in 2025, we're supposed to have this digital uh, dictatorship that's going to be introduced. That's what Klaus Schwab and others uh, are advocating, that by 2025, the digital revolution is to be concluded. And astrologists uh, claim that 2025 will be a key date. I'm not an astrologist myself, but the figures match. And this shows why uh, Schwab and um, 
concerts who read these uh, analyses certainly as well why they're so panicked uh, because we are not afraid of them uh, they're afraid of us that's why we're having this puppet theater um, while we've had it for two and a half years or more it's like carnival really in doubles what i it's my impression but, it, but there is this wolfgang there's this article by uh, this american billionaire who says i see pitchforks coming or something like that that they can see that we will attack them with pitchforks that they saw that early on and now try all sorts of uh, magical tricks in order to get us uh, from looking the other way uh, from uh, not even uh, taking a, a piece of pitchfork of the word by saying no and fighting back that is a huge risk to them of course quite right uh, let me just um, be a bit creative here just uh, imagination us free wolfgang viviane and i we are politicians and we've learned no profession you're not a doctor you're not a lawyer i'm not a legal person either we have no real profession or we've learned it and never worked in it and now a party moves us all the way up in a strict hierarchy in a dictatorship a demo thinkable uh, apparently democratic system we have been um spilled all the way up whatever we did to do that we have no idea of what we're talking about we have no idea about anything but we talk about everything so you have to fight uh, for your space at the parliamentarian table and keep it because that means if you're not competent, you have to make sure that competent people are not able to speak out. Wolfgang, I, I uh, thank you very much for your clarity in 2020. You encouraged me to look here closer. I uh, actually didn't want to write this book. Um, it's written for Germany mainly as well. And it was, I was disgusted by it. It was an insult to my uh, common sense. I've analyzed many other things, but people like you who've been discriminated, and I've been through this for this, since 2015, I said, he's talking the truth. That's why he is eliminated. That has to be the truth. I never felt that it was a discrimination, but uh, knighthood, really. Well, it is, really, it is, but uh, just carry on with the game. We are incompetent. We have no idea what we're talking about. Maybe we were without empathy either, a bit my narcissistic psychopaths. What do we do? We have to suppress the people and distract it um, uh, from all things, uh, traffic light, uh, political situation, mass, complete confusion to make sure that they don't notice how incompetent we are, um, that they fund us with tons of taxpayers' money, and uh, they allow us to do these massive madness with their own money. You know, what amazes me in this context, let me put it this way, we have so many uh, critical journalists that we used to have until 2018, 2019, um, where they... Um, presented uh, diverse opinions to us up until then. And they're still out there somewhere. They still exist. These people who analyze, who recognize conspiracies and uh, 
work uh, on them. Uh, journalists are all um, conspiracy seekers. I mean, the investigative journalists, that's what they've always been doing. And if you, if they see these idiots who can't talk properly, who can't keep contradicting themselves, who can't think logically, obviously, it's all so cheap and trivial. What what these uh, people in government um, say, the journalists take notes. They they um, record it with their microphones. They have to think about what is happening here, that they can actually marry it with their um, professional code, that they um, just take it, that they don't uh, talk about this. What's wrong with them? Well, assuming that the people and that these editors and journalists follow the same idealism as we do here, then that is a fundamental area. We are in trouble capitalism. Money has um, taken the morale from people, and high-ranking German media representatives in Austria, Germany, and uh, US as well, said there's three interests for a journalist. First, their own interest to push their career, the newspaper, and if a one and two match, they will also write in the sense of the population and the truth. So the truth is last in their priorities. And if we look at how many people didn't complete their studies and so on, I don't want to be optimistic here that 90% of these people uh, have an ethical profession. I would say it's 10% rather. Well, I was just bashing there. Don't take it seriously. But I wonder, how can we avoid this going forward? What would be a society like if we um, hired journalists like civil servants, if society provided good money to journalists and nobody could interfere with them, if they had a secure position, if they could be critical and uh, discuss things and really investigated everything for us? What happens now? Um, they have to write what they can sell, then they uh, are paid. If they don't write the right thing, uh, what uh, their client wants, then you can't hear them anymore. So um, there are incentives that are the wrong incentives, uh, distorting journalism, and they're usually uh, economic incentives. And in the uh, Council of Europe, I reported on this, there were two risks to journalism. First of all, first of all was um, that the government uh, controls and uh, orders what to write. And now, unfortunately, the original uh, sound is breaking up. The second aspect is that um, business just buys them. And right now, they're being bought out by business. Uh, everything is being uh, privatized, TV, and they have to live off um, advertising revenues. Over the last uh, few decades, that um, has become very strong in our uh, country. Um, so uh, economic pressure on journalism has uh, taken over. And now all of a sudden, politicians are there obviously telling journalists what to write. They are suddenly all writing the same thing. Starting the 18th of March 2020, they uh, suddenly started writing the same thing, all of them. It's really a bit strange. So I really assume that it wasn't uh, politicians, that it was business that was behind it, but that the politicians simply were a tool to pass on the commands um, for the people who are behind it. That's my impression. So that it's really the interests that we're talking about now that are um, 
collecting all this money now and who need the fear in order to uh, earn money, the um, profiteers of fear, as I've called them, uh, they are behind it and the, they are using politicians now in order to be able to continue this. We're seeing this now and uh, journalists have uh, a difficult stance in such a country. So what we're trying to do is to uh, create an alternative plan to uh, oppose this. That's why we're here. I have a question. In Germany, we have a debate on mandatory military service, uh, saying the service has not been uh, completely stopped, but only uh, interrupted. And people are in panic that they could be asked to go to the military. What do you think about that? Uh, I have the same view. I keep saying provocatively Germany and Austria have no military anymore. So, um, according to many studies and studies, they no longer uh, are in a position to meet their remit, um, i.e. defend their countries. Um, or act in times of crisis. This is reflected both in Austria and in Germany that many professional soldiers want to be excused uh, from being deployed in a uh, war against Russia. So they uh, request to be um, um, allowed uh, relief from serving uh, as um, well with weapons because many people joined the uh, military in order to defend the country. Um, they never uh, were told in Austria, for instance, which is a, officially a neutral country, uh, they might not have joined the forces um, if uh, Austria was, uh, was neutral anymore. And de facto, it is not neutral anymore. Um, it is basically applying for full uh, membership in NATO, so I can understand all soldiers who request to be uh, relieved of serving uh, with weapons because they are afraid that they might have to fight Russia at some stage. So I think that the great patriotic defense um, case to be, or defense operation to be unlikely, uh, but the more we send tanks, as I said, that's more symbolic, but it could have a, a real-life implication. The more uh, likely it becomes that Germany becomes involved in the war. If Poland is pulled into the war, then, of course, uh, Germany has to um, uh, uh, is Germany is involved in the war as well. So that is a possible scenario. We have to weigh uh, our options here. I am in favor of being able to defend your own country, but both armies, um, both in Germany and in um, Austria, have been uh, saved to death. So they've been saving money um, to the point where they can't exercise their uh, duties anymore. Um, so we have also um, people who uh, only become soldiers. They are kind of a um, civilian defense force who become soldiers in a case of a military conflict. 
Um, so Austria was um, considering membership of NATO in 2015, and that's why I wrote my book in 2015, and I was saying, like, what are you doing there? Uh, a core element of Austrian identity is neutrality, and they're discussing this away now in, uh, in Austria. The Russians, the USSR, uh, is uh, who gave Austria the status of an independent country, and the Germans um, forget this. Who liberated um, Austria from the Nazis? It wasn't the, the Americans, it wasn't Germany, it was the Russians, it was the Red Army. So to get back to um, the case of uh, defense of Austria, if people are asked whether they will fight uh, for freedom, with weapons in their hands, so you have to ask people for their own conscience. Um, you have to ask yourself, do we have uh, an army that can fight this enemy? How strong is the enemy? I um, personally, I would not um, t um, take up arms. Then uh, I would simply put on a, a high-vis vest and say, please pass on, go on, um, send the gas we need, thanks, uh, thanks a lot. And we have a um, population, 800,000 of whom are um, armed. We can have a guerrilla war against the Russians, but uh, stay here, um, create a bit of law and order, and then go home again. Um, so that's, of course, a bit of a, a burlesque sort of a statement. But the Austrian army is dead. That horse is dead. It was a long time, has been for a long time. And uh, this blast, this detonation of North Stream 2, how uh, do you see uh, this um, uh, statement that this was the Americans? Do you think that's realistic? Yes, I think it's quite realistic. It could have been a covert operation. That means you do a terror act and uh, trigger a war and uh, push it to the scapegoat, like um, the First World War, Austria-Hungary were trapped by the Americans, all documented, and Ukraine war, same thing. Who benefits from North Stream 2 uh, attack? It is the pipeline through the Baltic Sea, which moves the uh, Russian gas to Germany. It's not Germany who benefits, it's not Russia either. Um, we said in the beginning, it is about the Anglo-American um, intention to not uh, to prevent a friendship between Germany and Russia. And it's quite obviously, um, it's the U.S. who benefit from this, who can sell their fracking gas and atomic uh, power, especially in Germany. And that is not proven, but it makes sense that it was them. I think, um, yes, I'm sure. I didn't text, I didn't check, I need more facts. I have a question. How did they pull this off? There are three lines, if I don't, um, if I'm right, and one of them wasn't damaged. So that's a great achievement that they could destroy two of them and leave one intact. Can that be uh, intentional? It looks like it, doesn't it? So it's a bit mysterious. Looks like a compromise, nearly. Well, um, take out two, but leave one in place. Well, for the population not to be go, go bonkers completely. 
So we can get into business, get back to business again. Yeah, similar things happened in the burning of the parliament in '33. Eighty percent blind person um, took two matches uh, to uh, and ten minutes to burn down a 500 uh, square meter uh, room. So all firemen in the world will tell you stupid idea and German historians say it's the truth. Without that fire in the parliament, the Nazis, Nazis couldn't have gotten to power. And now, North Steam, we have to say, who's the benefit? Who benefits? And uh, I'm completely with you. Um, damaging two and leaving one is just a warning shot. They want to have someone. But they have to expect that many people knew this, that this was a coordinated, a coordinated operation, not only by the US and Norway, but also that others have uh, tolerated it because all the movements that were necessary ahead of time in order to detonate this, uh, wouldn't they have noticed other secret services or military, militaries? It's the same story as with 9-11. It's been proven that the stupid is the most stupid uh, uh, theory. It uh, says the official story. It's impossible. Technically, what happened? It's all the same thing. It's covert actions um, carried out by the services. Um, they must have known about this. There's no other way to do this kind of thing. And some do these covert operations, possibly believing that they are doing something well for democracy or whatever. So, um, triggering the Second World War in uh, Poland, attack on the Gliwitz radio station. It's uh, Germans in Polish uniform uh, to, uh, to attack that uh, radio station, which was German at the time. And it's the same thing. And uh, probably the same thing would have gone on now with similar structures that must have known what they are going on. You need logistics in the, uh, you have to have uh, the logistics, how it was done exactly. You will probably only know in a couple of months. Now we can only speculate at this point, um, but the patterns, the patterns are so uh, th similar um, and you just have to look at it and you see. But one thing, the question, Kim Bono, who's the beneficiary, is something that can be right, but it hasn't to be right 100%. In this case, I think it's so evident and so clear. And if the technical requirements, if you look at that, that is um, two uh, pipes of bus and one as a compromise is still open. That really looks like a technical operation which was planned and now uh, is used uh, differently in a propaganda way, like all these covert actions. I have a question from the audience. I can read it out. Um, you can ask questions under corona-ausschuss.de/f142. F for Frage, German for question, and uh, 142 for this session. The question is: What risk uh, would uh, result for uh, Germany if it uh, tried to pry itself loose from the uh, American stranglehold, no longer being a vassal state? So, what risks would you see here? 
That's a question I have answered 2015 or 16 to Michael Folk in Noviso TV. I, at the time, recommended that Germany should make sure to get neutral, like Austria is. Oh, it was intended originally for this, a safe, secure network within Euro. Uh, Europe must be. It can't be the European army, um, a low, loose bilateral agreements with different states to allow a cooperation and dissolve this NATO. <clears throat> Germany could initiate the impulse to that. This NATO is um, just as important as um, anything is. And NATO is expanding, expanding, and I can't remember that uh, um, Turkey is in the North Atlantic, North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Who needs the NATO? The NATO is a geostrategical tool for the U.S. to um, split up countries and uh, states in Asia. Keeping the Russians out, that is one of the declared goals of NATO. Who needs it? Who needs it? We need peace. We need cooperation in Europe and Eurasia. And Germany could really play a key role and uh, have the help of Austria um, taking the impulse for a peaceful cooperation with Russia. And the Americans can go home. They can go to their island and stay where they belong to. The question is, who supports this? If the Greens uh, want to NATO and restrict peace and uh, freedoms, everything that is against their statutes, the politics are not going to solve it. We need a movement that pushes this forward, that drives policy that in front of them. We know that 60% of the, the population is <clears throat> unhappy with politics for a peaceful reform, for people leading to their own potential and maybe not be so dependent on prestige and politics and so on. How this can be done exactly, I don't know. I can't say. It's open. But I want to set this off here that Germany could take a lead role here in firm freeing from the U.S. stranglehold. Let me try to fine-tune this a bit. I think that the U.S. is a beautiful country. There are great people there, critical people, intelligent people. It's really a great country. However, there are many gangsters in America, not only in Chicago back in the day, but also today, and they perfected everything, and they damage no one more than their own country. How much money does it cost this nonsense that they're doing in, America, in, in Europe? What? Do Americans benefit from it? They have nothing of it. They they don't gain anything from it. They uh, fare ever poorer. They're being exploited by the same people who are um, promoting uh, these uh, these crusades to Europe. Americans suffer under this. They have no interest in such strategic considerations, and we have to see this. I think that we have to foster our friendship to America, but not our friendship with any gangsters, but with the population. And as Democrats, we have to be wary. We are the people, and the people that we empower to do this nonsense in our name, we have to replace them. Other, We need other people. They get their power from us. Quite right, quite right. And don't forget, and I'm completely with you. I love America. 
and the whole continent. It's a great continent. Uh, also, great thinkers there, Noam Chomsky and others, great start, great people. But the power, inofficially and partially officially, is with the military-industrial complex, as Viviana has said so quite rightly in the beginning. And when these people in Europe, and they start the fire in Europe, and they tell us the U.S. American economy, 90% of it depends on war overseas, then it needs to uh, American movement, which Noam Chomsky has been suggesting for a long time, finally focus on their own issues, their own territory, and take care of that. And that means they'd have to give up their imperium. Their, it's the biggest one ever. It's two, three times the, the size of the Roman Empire. And um, if the people there don't kick this off, it's not going to end in Europe only because the Germans stand up and said, we want this to stop. It's gonna, not going to stop. We need a movement over there as well. Well, people are working on this in America as well. There's a big uh, vigility movement uh, going on, uh, triggered by Corona. So there is a waking up process going on there. And I think many people there have seen that uh, these um, st structures are very rotten and many people are standing up against this. You say the stranglehold takes place there as well. But um, I think we have a historic opportunity now because Corona um, got so close to the people, much more than all the climate change going some on somewhere else and uh, drowning some island in the southern seas, or rather not. Uh, and this is so close, uh, and the pressure as well um, to get the shots and so on, you saw that the state and the government is extremely um, taking over here. It wasn't as clear as this in the past, and I learned a massive amount of many things in this time, and I think um, it led many people to change their mind and um, see what's going on. And I think um, we shouldn't really uh, forget about what's going on and what happened and we come to the bad old normal. That can't be the case. Okay, the ignorance that we have seen before um, led us exactly to where we are now and the continuation of uh, ignorance and old normality is nothing else than um, desiring to return to the source of chaos. Now, really have to get into a good shape. If there's no change in consciousness, and that's what we're working on here, if that doesn't take place, then um, the reform can't be successful because then uh, we'll end where we all started from. It's about the reform of the eye, of the self. <clears throat> And the question was asked, how do we get out of this? I've presented an approach, and I've been talking about it since 2006. We know from psychological expertise that 89% of the children are highly talented. And that's the nature of the human being and the education system. After that, we've got 2% left over. It's a mathematical conclusions. 96% of the people are 
produced, who are asleep, who go along the psychological experiments, they 100% uh, push the button because somebody wants them and tells them to. The same figure uh, got the jabs, at least for once. It's about uh, dissolving the pattern. So the logical consequence is to foster the individual capacity that this is uh, led forward in children and adults. 20% of the adults are officially depressive. So we know it is pressed down. What that is, the individual capacity. So that can move up, that can evolve, and we're going to see a shift, definitely, 100%. I don't know when, but it's going to be there. And the Anglo-American impact in uh, Europe is dissolving, but we have to do something. We can't just uh, sit down and say it's going to do away with itself. As you said, Viviane and Wolfgang, we have to keep it up and going, educating and being role models. There's no other way to do that. Well, I think that was a good uh, way of concluding this interview, Monica. Thank you very much for um, sharing this, uh, these findings with us. Now, I think we're at a crossroads now, and I think we'll take the right decision together. Viviana, thank you very much. Um, excuse me if I was so uh, enthusiastic. I can't uh, do without cabaret. And a great compliment to the work that you've been doing for such a long time. And I'd like to mention Corvin in the background, the, pre the preparation of your uh, sessions. I have been in the media for 15 years. I don't know public alternative media, which has such a nice and uh, friendly preparation. Thank you very much to that. Yes, congrats to Corbin, I think. Yes, I share that view. Thank you, Corbin, as well. Well, we have a, another um, session. Before we come to our live guest, we wanted to talk to Professor Zönigsen, who just um, had his court case. I don't know if he's with us. I think he's at the airport at the moment and can talk to us. Well, if he turns on his mic, uh, it'll work. Yes, hello, I'm here. And thank you very much to Corwin for organizing this in such an uncomplicated and quick way. I'm actually um, at Gatway Airport waiting for my wife to pick me up um, for us to drive back to Germany by car. Let us know you were with us a couple of weeks ago and you said that uh, in February we'll have you'll have a court hearing in Salzburg. You are a doctor for internal medicine. You are a university professor working in England at the moment. <coughs> and now you have uh, some residual movements in Austria going on. Just let us know what happened. Well, I had uh, a, a criminal um, a claim against me by the, the Austrian government uh, for uh, fraud. Uh, because I issued vaccination certificates. Um, and the, the main hearing um, in Salzburg in front of the district uh, court 
um, was yesterday, and with Georg Richlich, my um, competent lawyer from Vienna, I was able to show that I uh, never committed fraud, nor um, did I usurp any powers. Um, and that it is legal that if people are afraid of having an allergic reaction to an untested um, vaccination, a vaccine, um, to issue a um, certificate to them that they don't need to be vaccinated uh, up until uh, the time that the ingredients and effects of this vaccine are clarified. And it was a very important win uh, for all doctors who have taken the same view, who issued certificates for people um, to protect people against these uh, infringements of uh, fundamental rights and human rights. And it's also an important win for Liberation Express, um, so I have to say, Congratulations and thank you very much to Marcus König who initiated this and who together with us, uh, physicians, with Andy Müller and myself mostly, protected thousands of people uh, from having to get this vaccine, these jabs. So a great success for these activities and we can only hope that this will um, be a model for many other judges in Austria and Germany who have uh, in the past uh, convicted uh, people f um, with uh, completely unjustified measures. Um, for instance, Ronnie Weikler was uh, convicted to a, um, a jail term because he issued mask certificates is unbelievable. And this ruling was actually upheld in uh, the Court of Appeals. But uh, we're on the right way, and I hope that this is a signal now, and I hope that the public prosecutor is reasonable enough not to um, appeal against this ruling. They have time until uh, Tuesday, so beginning Tuesday night, it will take legal effect. I just wanted to ask whether they can take any actions. How did the prosecutors react? Were they annoyed or irritated or what? Well, the public prosecutor and, well, you might take the view you want. They were represented by an intern who throughout the um, procedure only uh, responded to the judge when uh, the judge asked, do you uh, have any comments to make? He uh, kept saying, no, I have no comments to make. So this um, process, this uh, lawsuit actually happened without the public prosecutor, de facto. What's also interesting is that there were two witnesses uh, there who got a Liberation Express uh, certificate. And when I got the um, official uh, complaint, uh, when I was uh, saw the charge, I thought those are only uh, witnesses bought out by the um, uh, public prosecutor. And then yesterday in, the, um, in court, these two witnesses were heard and they said, no, 
we didn't feel uh, that we were defrauded. We wanted this certificate and we use it too. And we didn't realize that uh, we needed a um, an official certificate. So they basically spoke out in my favor um, quite unexpectedly, even though they'd been uh, footed by the public prosecutor. That's very strange. <clears throat> Do you see that the things are seen differently in Austria? Because the effect of someone liberating from the vaccine mandate has a bigger effect than not wearing a mask. <clears throat> I think it's over-proportional if I say the vaccination protects and <clears throat> I, if I follow the official argument and these uh, certificates are issued lightheartedly, that leads to larger sections of the population um, evading this um, protection is much more rather than saying there's different statements on the masks, even by uh, the so-called official experts on whether it protects or not. I think it's over-proportional um, how they take action in the masks and now where it's kind of uh, all melting away, is it? Well, I agree. I think it's absolutely absurd that uh, you have a criminal charges on the foot of a mask attestation, a mask certificate. It really leaves you uh, speechless. And um, the many uh, cases brought against the mask um, refusers, um, the so-called you kind of that's absurd too you kind of wonder what's behind it and the evidence for the masks um the updated cochrane video has just been published and then another uh, overview uh, study that showed that the masks don't even have an effect in the healthcare setting unless they're used in a very targeted way in direct contact with a highly infectious patient, which is an entirely different situation, of course, and then they have to be worn correctly. And they also looked at, that's interesting too, uh, showing that only 3% of mask wearers wear them correctly so that they actually could have any benefit. And to make such a brouhaha about the mask certificates, um, prosecuting people, the same goes uh, for Austria as well, and um, um, Tanzania. Um, well, one um, doctor who's being prosecuted went to Tanzania to avoid charges. It's unbelievable. It, I don't see uh, any rational um, reason for that. Do you have an idea in this context? Well, I would have an idea <clears throat> if our health minister says that he still wears the mask to keep up the pandemic feeling, pandemic feeling. If um, that would have taken space, that many people walk around with the certificate of the mask and 50% of the people population would have gone about without the mask and that would have been legal. I wouldn't have had the impression that the massive virus is lurking around every corner. <clears throat> 
It's just a few freaks who still wear a mask because they want to protect themselves. The story about the vaccine certificate is hidden. It's something that's not visible. Uh, so that's the motivation. If we um, think about some kind of concerted action, then that could be a background to it. That would be a possibility because the mask is very visible externally. But whether is uh, whether somebody is vaccinated or not, or whether they have a vaccine um, attestation or certificate or not, uh, that is invisible. That is only visible if you view their um, vaccination passport or um, vaccination certificate. And um, if I see how they handle the uh, incapacitation certificates um, where physicians have to look closely whether they uh, whether a patient um, is incapacitated or not, um, but rarely uh, ever was a, a physician uh, charged with issuing the wrong uh, certificate here. Now they can even do it by the phone. It's automated. They don't even have to see patients. You can get a, a sick cert for a long uh, time running, and it's been actually made easier. Um, and um, if it gets legal, then, of course, there shouldn't be a distinction here, because the uh, point of the certificate of a secondary um, importance, that's nothing to do with the judge. They have can only uh, rule on whether uh, it has been formally uh, done correctly, and this is a mismatch here. We can see that this is a measure prosecuting people for uh, mask certs, vaccination certs, that this is politically demanded and that obviously the public prosecutors were uh, ordered to prosecute this and to bring pressure to bear on the population. Well, maybe there is prosecutors who um, don't really want to do this, really, and by that send out the interim, their intern. Um, that maybe speculation of what's behind this, that uh, the prosecution tries to evade taking action here. There are people behind it. Yeah, quite right. Anyway, <clears throat> no matter what background may have played a role here and what we could imagine, it is an important milestone for our movement, for the movement of freedom and self-determination. And I feel um, that many people tell me that they want to carry on and they are motivated. So that has a big of a signal effect, and uh, <clears throat> we'll need that um, next Sunday for Berlin in October. We need that for Bavaria. And I think all together in this country and in Austria, we can move things, and we will move things. I'm of good hope that we will trigger some change. May I make a statement from a strategic point of view in this context? 
I think that the crucial aspect will be that the rising um, vaccination damages, the, the cases of uh, vaccination damage that are uh, becoming uh, uh, known now, that they are actually uh, shown as such. If the cancer rate duplicates over the next 10, 15 years, then we have to say, okay, those people have been vaccinated. And we have to point out that this is um, largely due to the um, C-jab. This will be our core job. And that means that we will be um, seen by the many people who don't want to get jabs anymore. And then uh, these things that um, Andreas has fought for, that this might then have a uh, lasting effect uh, because uh, those who caused it will see, okay, uh, things are collapsing left, right, and center. If you look at the uh, study from Israel that showed 2.1 million uh, patient data have been analyzed and they confirmed what was shown in the um, research study of uh, Pfizer and AstraZeneca already, that you have a much higher risk of becoming a severe hospitalization case, exactly what the government wanted to avoid, then um, this will be something that the population will realize, the large number of people will realize. So to cut a long story short, the important thing is to show that the propaganda um, um, that claims that there are new diseases, um, we, showed, we have to show that this is really the vaccinations. Sorry, Andreas, um, for investigating and uh, picking you. You've been a uh, in the lead of the investigative uh, doctors, and I got an invitation for the health effect on climate change. And I wondered whether you don't have any other issues. And. I wrote something there. You can participate in the agenda setting. I think this evidence-based looking up, <clears throat> I thought that when I followed the uh, mask discussion, the question are just not f far reaching enough. There's nobody who says, where are the, <clears throat> was there really an uh, epidemics? Euronidius looked at some things but do some comparisons and the monitoring situation, which is available. We have our Sentinel uh, practices who look before and who carry on. We all know that. We know all that. And we, I don't see any work going in that direction, seeing if there really was a real virus disease. <coughs> Well, we had real COVID cases and, of course, severe causes and side effects. It's all mixed up now, and it's all on the same level. Um, at these uh, dangerous viruses, which were there, which were there. How do we know that they were there? I want to have this evidence-based, scientifically discussed, so it has to be discussed and disputed, and people have to say there's none and I have this evidence, and then they have, there is some, and then they'll discuss it, and that's what I would see, and that's not going on. And uh, all the PCR test assessments, it's not going on as well. It's uh, not 
in the big uh, medical community. And of course, you, if you think about the health effect on the climate change, you have to look at what you're talking about. So the basics are missing everywhere. I'm disappointed that this is set up in this way in kind of side discussions that we waste our time with. Hello, hello. Sorry for intervening again. Back in 21, I wrote uh, the book uh, Corona Dictatorship. It's a, a book with more than 600 pages. And even in the parts one and two, I proved on the basis of analysis of many medical studies. I'm not a, a medical expert, but an analyst. And on the basis of numerous studies, umpteen studies, I proved that we never had a real emergency that would have justified uh, limitation, restriction of a single fundamental right. So the facts are there. The book is there already. It was written for Germany, but I can only suggest take a look at it. Take a look at parts one and two. Um, I have all the facts there. I don't think we need to say any more on the topic there. May I just share two charts? Of course you can, yes. <clears throat> uh, Stefan Kohn also had uh, his paper, um, False Alarm, and he pointed this out back at the time. Can you see my charts? Yes, we can, very well. This is the RKI data of the last six years, 2014 to 2023, <clears throat> 2017 to 2023, and it's the percentage of the acute respiratory diseases. And this is monitored on a weekly basis by the Sentinel practices. And we see two peaks here, 2023, 22-23, RSV plus influenza, influenza 2018. And if you see a winter-summer difference, but I don't see a corona peak because it wasn't there. There were, of course, deviations. This one is the third wave. But it's all the normal variation, as always is. Let's look at the inpatient situation. The same thing. So severe acute respiratory infections Per 100,000 inhabitants, you see the influenza RSV peak this year and the peak 2018, and you don't find anything of corona. So there was no notable pandemic which would have justified any kind of measure. So in, in, in uh, of course, washing your hands and staying at home if you've got a cough is something that you don't have to talk about, but nothing about lockdowns, masks, and else what <clears throat> they came up with. <clears throat> Back in February uh, 2020, I showed those slides and published them, and then I show, kept showing them once or twice a week after that, and nobody cared. Yeah, the problem. It wasn't heard. And at one point on the German network evidence-based medicine, 
I was the chair from 2019 to 2021. I would have been um, chair until 20, March 2021 for the re-elections, but in January I was asked to step down because during this time I um, made statements which were not by myself as well, but that were agreed and consented, but there was such a strong complaint from the members that the chair was afraid, or the board was afraid to lose members, and this is why I had to leave. That was the situation in the German network evidence-based medicine, and after I've left, um, there was not a single uh, statement anymore on the pandemics at all. And now they are looking into climate. Well, you know what? I uh, have an aphorism here. Evidence, evidence is something agreed upon. And it always depends on who participates in the agreement. I think that's very important. And now they're among themselves. Well, there are a couple of people there who are on our side, but who don't dare to open their mouths. Yeah, may I show you um, briefly a, a screen that confirms what Wolfgang and Andreas have been saying. I've accessed the uh, official database of WHO. Uh, I don't know if you know this, the upper uh, uh, graph shows the uh, flu uh, 2018 uh, in the winter 2018 to 2019 is a nice peak there the lower uh, graph ends abruptly in april and since then the gr uh, the flu has been dead uh, globally no longer exists so um that's a clear indication of uh, well what is a um severe flu, um, but um, uh, the uh, COVID, uh, if you take the uh, flu and hospital bog together, it's like COVID numbers. This is only influenza, is it? Yeah, because influenza has made a rebound now. Yes, but at the bottom, it's from 19 to 20. In yeah, 2020, there was no influenza. Okay, we're a bit behind in our schedule because we have a live guest with us and um, another one waiting in the Zoom who can't be waiting too long. A short question from the audience. The uh, health uh, data are with the <clears throat> courts now, the data that people gave in. Um, for the certificate, can we assume that the courts delete these? Or is there a database now <clears throat> that they continue to maintain? No, there never was a database uh, there. A situation is such that these two witnesses were picked up by the police uh, by coincidence when they um, presented this Liberation Express uh, certificate. Those were two individuals whose data were picked up by the police and that were then called, um, called up as witnesses by the public prosecution. I was asked 
in um, the hearing how many people got such a liberation express um, certificate and I um, refused to answer the question. I rejected it. I said, I won't give you that uh, information. So they don't have a database. They have no idea how many people actually used those certificates. That's good to know. Andreas, congratulations to this whole thing. And I hope that uh, um, in turn doesn't uh, try to go for another round and that this will prevail and um, it's great and it's something um, good for you that this is over and done with and um, maybe we'll have a wave going through the courts and maybe it'll help Ronnie Weigel as well. Thank you for having time for us. I think it's very important that we are able to report something positive here. Well, thank you very much uh, for slotting me in at such short notice. Um, my battery is going down anyway, so I have to log off. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, we have a guest with us in the studio, Robert Biedenhoft. Uh, he's an engineer and he works in a large-scale industrial company. And he says he has been, since 2019, he has been a democratically active. I hope you were like this before, but um, you've been activated and um, you are in the um, Berlin Association Commission for Limitation of Power. And we are here together because we want to talk about the upcoming election in Berlin. It's a re repeated election. One may say democratically it's difficult that there are problems with elections, but it's good that in this case these uh, doubts were taken seriously and it is uh, repeated. Tomorrow we have an appointment with the monitoring gremium of the European Council who wants to look at if there are more issues. Maybe you can let us know what your assessment of the situation is <coughs> and uh, on the repeat of the elections. Well. Hello, to start with, thanks for inviting me. Hello to everybody and thanks for having me. Uh, for those who prefer English, we continue in German now because it's the Berlin election. Yes, it's quite right. We have a simultaneous translation into English. We don't have to do it ourselves anymore. Well, I'm a member of um, the party Die Basis and I'm in uh, I have the a privilege of participating in this um, election preparation committee. Um, it's a great pleasure uh, to cooperate in uh, such a great team uh, on the development of democracy as a private individual. And we uh, made some experience there, and that's probably why I was invited today. Right. I'd like to ask you this repeat of the war. What was the charge? And the point was that uh, von Tichy's Einblick, uh, TZ settings and Marcel Luther worked together to collect all the issues of the past election, and that was agreed on. Can you give us some key points here? Yes, of course. Um, according to my research, what happened was this. There were dramatic failures um, during the election. I'd say um, 
of organizational of an organizational type organization didn't work out it's uh, not a problem of democracy it's a problem of organization really it's um, uh, not a huge problem but what happened uh, was that should uh, arouse people's attention because how did they handle these problems and both in the media coverage we see that they didn't really cover the um, actual problems. For instance, the oft-quoted uh, dead people who uh, participated in the election, or that's one example um, that I can remember right now. Those are things that are scandalized in the media, but it's just a question of statistics. In Berlin, we have three and a half million inhabitants um, every day, uh, statistically, a hundred people die, and when uh, the um, uh, election bills are distributed, uh, that takes a, a few weeks, um, it means that a few thousand people have died in the meantime. Uh, so that's just a statistical question. Other things that um, were noteworthy are reported in a strange way by the media. So the things that were published don't really show any real um, problem. The biggest scandal really was that those in positions of responsibility in politics reacted incorrectly. We had a minister of the interior in Berlin who actually tried to uh, sweep it under the carpet. And if you uh, can believe Mr. Tichy's report, he's an um, independent um, private journalist, then the um, Court of Justice in Berlin seems to have uh, attempted to sweep it on the carpet. And that is unacceptable for a democracy because the election is really the holy grail of a democracy because this is when the sovereign, i.e. the people, can actively participate in democracy. There was this problem that the marathon took place at the same time, the Berlin Marathon, and there were not enough voting, voting slips and ballots in the different uh, election rooms. I was there after six o'clock <clears throat> and parallel, there were a number of elections going on, the federal election, a local election, and the regional election. And uh, so it was not clear how long people could have voted. We participated in the counting as well. I have found this place because there were people coming out after seven o'clock who came out. Um, they had made an appointment later on, but that's a difficult situation because that opens um, abuse, uh, is open to abuse. And in this concrete place we couldn't see any irregularities but uh, the result and the um, ballots are then moved elsewhere and then there there could be manipulation but apparently here the suspic suspicions um, caused to um, have a repeat election and it's of course here quite um, interesting to see that um, people try to sweep it under the rug first. It's a humane thing to do, um, but if you have a hold office as a minister of the interior or as a member of the Supreme Court, 
then we as citizens must not tolerate this. These human weaknesses then mean that democracy doesn't work uh, properly. And the media are often quoted this marathon, um, and um, it wasn't the first time that Berlin held elections. It wasn't the first time that there was a marathon in Berlin. It may have interfered here or there a bit, but I do believe that the government really um, scored an own goal there uh, by trying to uh, overload an election uh, with um, a referendum and a federal uh, election in uh, times of COVID. And, uh, the government simply failed in implementing this. Well, that should have been corrected. And that's why I'm convinced that the repeat election that will happen now will be a perfectly above board. I'm convinced that the election manager, Mr. Bushler, uh, will ensure that everything is above board. It's just a, a regional election. We don't have a marathon that will go smooth as butter. And then the media will uh, shout, hooray, a democracy in Germany is working against. Don't, don't believe these um, statements um, because democracy always worked. Those were only organizational issues. The real problems are much more deep-rooted. That's quite right. And I think at the moment they couldn't uh, do with an organizational disaster because that would make clear that <clears throat> if it were the case, that it's not just a an overload situation, but that something else is behind it. We have a question from the audience. Um, the other parties are at 5%. Where is this and what's the situation of the basis in Berlin? Do you have any polls and any prognosis? There's always election forecasts and you may wonder whether they're credible or whether they are also uh, part of um, manipulation. I prefer citizens to uh, do their own thing if uh, people were asked to um, learn about um, the um, uh, platforms of the various um, um, political parties rather than trying to talk um, people into doing into voting one way or the other so i can only appeal to um, citizens to form their own opinion as democrats it's a long ballot ladies and gentlemen and you don't have any obligation to vote for any of the top uh, parties listed. Yes, in the last election, I think um, the, the basis was at 1.5%. <clears throat> and so it's not clear of what it is going to uh, participate in these 12% of the small parties. So there's the Animal Protection Party and Vote and I don't know, a number of others. Tudenhofer, the basis, uh, these are the most well-known uh, small parties. Uh, well, 12% have been uh, forecast for the other parties. Now, let me point out something that uh, came to the fore in the uh, Tsar region, in the election there. Smaller parties have uh, a small, uh, very uh, poor chances um, due to the 5% threshold. That's the minimum you have to have in order to be represented in parliament. And um, take a look at what um, happens in 
The Netherlands, they don't have this threshold, and they're considered a more democratic country even than Germany. I don't think that uh, the threshold should be abolished overnight, um, but it's not God-given. It could be lowered. Take a look at uh, the Tsar region. Uh, there was a publication on others that was on uh, around about 12%, and the media oftentimes worry about why are there so many uh, voters who won't uh, vote for the established parties or who don't vote at all. Now, take a look at the elections in the Saar region with a view of the 5% threshold and how many uh, parties are not uh, are listed under others but haven't made it to um, uh, to the state parliament, um, a lot of those uh, uh, parties had 3.9% or uh, the Greens who failed to get in at 4.99% or something. So if you tot it all up, then it's nearly 20% of citizens who cast a vote in the Tsar region unrepresented in parliament. That's an alarming signal for a democracy that such a large group of citizens are no longer represented in parliament. Now. If you uh, use a sleight of hand and uh, included um, um, election uh, participation, then the SPD has an absolute majority in state parliament. They got 25% uh, of all possible um, uh, votes, and they have an absolute majority. And 20% of people who cast their vote aren't represented at all. I think this needs to be improvement. Absolutely. It's a shocking result because you could see <clears throat> that it's difficult for a small and new party like the Basis. You're very, very new, and it's great that they already took the hurdle of um, getting party funding. Uh, some other small parties didn't manage to do that. So that's a good start, but it is not so easy to take that hurdle right from the start. And I think that is really something. Theoretically, if all these parties were to agree in a single point, for example, not to carry on with any measures in the position that they would have in the parliament, they can stand up, they can uh, speak, and they can uh, file applications and so on, and um, insist on investigative committees. It is a limitation of power for the people who, according to the basic law, uh, all power is uh, resumed by the people. They should. Uh, follow this and for the government and the ruling parties it is a way and simply to cut this kind of education off well the small parties have no chance to have an impact in parliament but they have their justification and I've uh, discussed it with other uh, representatives of small parties and I asked the same question why do you participate um, or uh, work in a party that isn't even represented in parliament at 2% uh, of the public vote? And I got an answer from a humanist, I think. Uh, well, I think it's a very high caliber type of um, out of parliament opposition. And I um, thought that was interesting and it motivated me to join such a small party doing some political work there. And by the way, uh, the um, effect parliamentary impact isn't that important it's important to communicate to people the real uh, task of political parties is to um, participate in uh, the formation of opinions 
and to to uh, inform people. And we try to do that as a small party. Well, it is an add-on, for example, if somebody really in the parliament would uh, focus on these aspects. And then it is uh, shown on TV with a discussion, a share of ideas on certain topics. Maybe uh, the basis is a peace party as well, and other small parties maybe as well. And there's uh, other parliamentarian parties, at least uh, parts of them are committed to peace, or at least some delegates and MPs where there could be some synergy. I think the Dutch example is uh, something that I'd be personally very interested in. Maybe we'll have a look at a presentation of the monitoring body of the European Council who want to be informed whether there is any general dissonances with respect to the uh, democratic setting in Germany. They addressed uh, a number of small parties, five or six, who um, were to speak forward, and we are one of them. Um, do you know what the feedback from the others were, or were we the, were we the only ones? We're certainly not the only one. Um, I uh, contact, I'm in contact with um, the uh, the group, the committee within um, our party that uh, deals with this. It's really a um, great uh, stroke of luck that everybody is interested in the small parties because it's uh, a novel thing. They're looking for uh, things that haven't been looked at in the past, and the question came up in different media. The RBB reported about it, the TV station, uh, newspapers reported on them, and they always ask the question, are the small parties discriminated, or do they have a disadvantage due to the repeat election? And the, uh, this is how the uh, election monitoring uh, committee of the Council of Europe um, became involved. And I believe that the media are again asking the wrong question, or they're asking the wrong parties. The question may be legitimate. We have 33 parties. Um, standing for election in uh, Berlin now. Most of them do not get any government subsidies. These uh, small parties, you can look it up at uh, uh, Welt newspaper, and it's an argument by um, the uh, conservative uh, ecologist UDP. Uh, These small parties have uh, big problems organizing an election because they don't get subsidies by the government. Um, that is not our case, but I can see the discrimination uh, of small parties. Uh, they asking, they're asking the wrong uh, parties. The problem, um, uh, the, the very small parties are, are the ones that have the biggest uh, problem, and they always ask uh, the bigger of the smaller, uh, smaller parties that do get um, some subsidies. So they're looking um, with the uh, magnifying glass, but at the wrong people. That's quite right. And of course, it's difficult to mobilize them and motivate people with few members to stick up posters and take actions. Well, to see uh, systematic discrimination, well, of course, every um, party has to motivate, have to start from scratch. Some larger parties find it easier. They simply press a button, they order a um, professional uh, election campaign, and that's the end of that. With the smaller parties, there's a lot of uh, more effort involved. 
but uh, the discrimination there uh, isn't really due to the fact of how small the party is, but how well the party is organized. And we as a young party may have a disadvantage here because uh, we don't have the best organization in place yet. But on the other hand, and this is due to the great team in the, on the committee, we have the uh, possibility of uh, beefing up our opportunity, our, our um, efforts. Yeah, a second shot, so to say. But there's a couple of things that we're going to present. One thing is that there is vandalism with respect to posters. I've seen this here. There is a poster of Die Basis at Ernst which is quite nice. It says words instead of weapons, and that uh, was tipped over, and uh, many things are now under video surveillance in the city. And if you file a complaint, then uh, interestingly, the uh, offenders who damage the posters can't be found. Be good, for example, if one would um, state a sample, which is what they do. Uh, if the police uh, says um, they will prosecute um, vandalism of election posters, and this is then publicly communicated to put people off. Well, we have to say, even as a normal citizen, I find it unacceptable in a democracy that such a level of vandalism of electoral campaigns or electoral uh, posters is accepted. It doesn't affect only our uh, party, but all parties. There are um, defaced posters of by all parties. And I would like to um, send my greetings to whoever is the interior minister in Berlin right now, responsible for the police and uh, for uh, policing. This is one of the points that we will make to the uh, Council of Europe because we are affected with posters that we've put in uh, the field of vision of uh, surveillance cameras, and we have complained to the police because it is undignified for a democracy of what's happening here in Berlin, or maybe elsewhere as well. This is really undignified for a democracy. So we filed complaints because we're affected as a party, like other parties as well. And even though there are surveillance cameras in place, the police threw in the towel after a short while. And I don't know if I was a state uh, that takes pride in its democracy, I would take it more seriously, I think. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, two more points that are going to be talked about at that meeting. One is the <coughs> political mailings that uh, we talk about this in an abstract way. Uh, from the legal point of view, there was a discussion that a circular was put into a post box and the respective person um, <clears throat> filed a complaint. And first of all, that was turned down and then there was a verdict saying that if the person gets another advertising, then up to 250,000 euros fine would be payable by the party and or, in this case, the uh, chair of the respective area would go to 
prison for six months. That is quite gruesome. Well, as a, a normal citizen, I can't understand that. Now, it's reminiscent of what we heard earlier. We have the uh, jurisdiction in the context of uh, COVID attestations uh, that the courts, let's uh, be um, cautious, um, the courts uh, seem to be politically motivated in some situations. I, as a citizen, uh, get electoral uh, ads from other um, parties as well. Uh, I don't know if you need to uh, file a um, complaint against this. Um, this is politically motivated, and I believe that this is uh, an excessive um, penalty that's being threatened there, uh, and we're appealing against that. And that is something that we will uh, submit to the Council of Europe, how um, the Federal Republic of Germany deals with political parties, and that's undignified as well. Yes, um, there is quite uh, restrictive um, legislation, uh, legislation for unwanted advertising and of course this person had a sticker on their post box that they didn't want to receive advertising uh, that means if I find all the advertising in my um, post box there is a commercial interest and of course that may uh, justify a strong uh, penalty and on this issue that this uh, partly covers uh, political circulars, there's an interesting article which we could put up in our chat, um, in our link, in our web box. Can the basic cons legal considerations for commercial advertising be applied to political activities? because there's no commercial interest and if it doesn't have additional advertising, I have the duty to inform the population that there are parties with different opinions and um, so possibly that is something that one could ask politics, that there is exceptions for this kind of political advertising because um, it has a democratic approach. But if you want to damage the basis, then you take a um, flyer by basis and you just dump it in somebody else's letterbox. And then I know that um, the party has a financial damage and maybe somebody is jailed. You have to prove who put it in there. It's not enough that there's something uh, lurking in the letterbox. How are they going to do that? That's exactly the point, and in this case, and that's why this is a surprising verdict, there is no proof that uh, uh, a member of the bases with respective clothing, which could be fake as well, somebody goes there and drops it there in the post box, and just imagine um, it's only 10 like these uh, letters sent in, and that person simply buys a, a, a um, big house in the Canaries. It's, it's a legal farce. Well, you, you put these um, flyers into a, um, a letterbox that says no advertising, and then you can damage any party you like. Yes, and I also think that the aggression or the desire to bring this in front of a court um, in the 
traditional parties, I don't know how often the Greens or the CDU do this. I got this from the Greens in my post box, and normally I wouldn't go and uh, charge them. Uh, so normally the parties are seen differently, and some um, through some incidents, uh, incentive, or maybe it even is a fake, and um, can't be like a different real danger for the parties to be charged. As far as I know, and to make it clear, as a party, we never called on anyone to go against a citizen's uh, wish um, to uh, be ad uh, get advertising. We always said that if there is a sticker on a letterbox, no advertising, then don't stick in a flyer by our party. And we learn from these cases, of course. We don't know how this happened. And we uh, believe that you don't expect, uh, that, that you don't depend on having these circulars. Um, we learn from this. We'll be able to handle it better in the next election than in this one. And I believe that this uh, legal case was uh, caused in order to disturb us uh, because I believe that once we go to uh, the uh, main proceedings uh, procedure, um, um, it will be uh, uh, stopped, but it'll be after the elections. So, uh, damage of fear that people uh, don't dare to um, put these uh, flyers away. Yes, it intimidates people and, of course, it ties up capacities. We'd like to use our staff to um, promote our uh, election campaign rather than uh, defending this court case. And then there's a third matter, a legal matter as well. Maybe you can comment on that. Okay. Well, it's a situation where you see who has um, power in this um, country, not the politicians, not the citizens, but the world of high finance. We have been rejected by many banks when we tried to open up a bank account. Many uh, banks are not interested in opening a bank account for small new small parties. Now we sued um, Sparkasse, um, that's a, a savings bank, um, because, as people need to know, they are by law, they are a um, public service um, savings bank, and they are by law uh, compelled to uh, open accounts for citizens, legal citizens as well. So there is no legal basis for their rejection. Um, we, um, Our complaint was upheld in um, court, and still they never opened a bank account. So if a quasi-public institution, it's interesting, that's undignified of a, a democracy as well, if they refuse to um, give us a bank account. So that's part of our uh, presentation to the uh, Council of Europe tomorrow. In this case, I read through the verdict. Uh, the judge saw that quite rightly. The case is that uh, the party has no anti-constitutional intent and statements and so on. And the judge pointed out that uh, constitutionality or not is decided by the constitutional court, the prohibition or banning of a party, and this is far beyond the question here. And also the uh, Sparkasse, the, and a 
residual bank, which uh, you can go in last instance, that they should give you a personal assessment on the political activities of a party, whether there is a problem with corona or not, and measure criticism so that um, the bank is simply not competent to judge this, and they have been uh, ruled out to do this kind of thing. And in many cases, it worked. It's not each uh, um, savings bank in Germany to uh, stop this. The party has accounts in general, but for certain areas, individual areas, if they can't open an account, that is some obstruction uh, because they have to find some other ways of payment and so on. And of course, that uh, causes trouble. We live in a democratic state of law, and we must not accept this kind of thing. It's absolutely unacceptable. But I wouldn't like to end this discussion on this sad note, because we have elections the day after tomorrow. We're a political party, and we did not uh, start to um, be uh, so happy. Um, we have uh, start, we started to um, represent people. And um, I've prepared a slide to show how we want to work with citizens. We want to be close to the citizens. And here we have an example on our website on the, um, of the um, regional organization here in Berlin. We have this uh, offering for uh, citizens uh, for several reasons. Um, uh, we have included election monitoring. So as a party, we have a project of um, election monitoring composed of three elements. First of all, the feeding back of um, election results from um, the polling stations. So we collect um, samples here to verify the uh, public election result. That means that we can regain people's trust in the election, because I said that, I, uh, that uh, I'm convinced that our um, state uh, election manager is um, organizing this very well. And it's also a way of how we would like to cooperate with uh, people. Uh, as a party, we do that. We invite citizens to get active and they can uh, get information um, via our website here, how it works without the uh, election monitors disturbing the election. They shouldn't do that at all. And if you have a result from a polling station you, and want to report it, you can upload it. It is then entered into the data pool. And uh, we hope to be able to increase people's uh, trust in the political system. I think it's good. That's what you've always said, Wolfgang. Uh, justified trust, really, and transparency. Transparency, yes. And the Council of Europe, uh, they do this election monitoring worldwide, everywhere. And you are then invited as a um, member of the Council to participate there. And those are people who have the international uh, comparison and the rules that the Council of Europe uh, established for uh, democratic elections, they can ensure that they are upheld. And um, uh, those are uh, people who uh, are very attentive and who can actually help you. I think that we can increasingly see uh, 
elections being manipulated, not only uh, in Germany but internationally, and that has to do with the fact that a lot has been automated and digitized. Whenever you make yourself dependent on technical solutions, there's the possibility of easy manipulation. So in a city like Berlin, where you have people who can actually ask questions, can monitor things, it should be possible to do this so that at the end of the day, you can find that the official election results actually match what you uh, observe personally. That would be the objective of such uh, election monitoring. Yeah, the one aspect of the three which I've mentioned, three are planned. What we're doing here on Sunday is exactly what you said, Wolfgang. From my point of view, we don't have to expect anything. It's uh, craftsmanship, really. And the people working in the commissions, they are citizens. So it is publicly done. I don't think we have to expect anything. The second aspect is that the results will be analyzed by us. And similar to the system Tiki did, uh, we're going to look at the results of two, three areas and really uh, check the ballots afterwards and verify the published results. And the third element is that we're going to verify the whole system. We're going to audit it. In the party, we have uh, experienced auditors and uh, lawyers and uh, data security experts and on the basis of this we're going to look at this uh, and check it with the um, regulations and we expect to find nothing nothing can go wrong there i'm a member of uh, basis party of course and i've uh, called on people to uh, vote for basis in berlin and my justification is a bit unusual if somebody is very critical of the uh, political system and uh, if he is uh, unhappy with um, uh, lists of uh, candidate lists and want to have direct uh, candidates, um, if I said that in any other party, that the party has no uh, say on uh, who will be a candidate, I'd be kicked out. Not so at Basis. At Basis, they're uh, willing to discuss about direct democracy. And that's why I'm in favor of this uh, party, even though I am really against uh, um, the party system. So much um, on my position, on my view. All the best of luck to you. Thank you. And I think we've covered what we wanted to say, or do you have any comment to make? Just greetings to all Berliners who have been called to um, cast their vote on <coughs> Sunday. Democracy works through the citizens. And only if citizens participate do we have true democracy. I can only call on you, go to the vote, use your right to vote. If you're unhappy with politics and you don't go to the ballot, then all you achieve is a lower um, voting participation, um, but you won't change um, the ratio of parties uh, in uh, Parliament. If you're unhappy with politicians, vote for Basis or another smaller party, but do vote. Well, that's what Monika Donas told us. Get out of the couch, get off your couch. The Basis is not only a party, it's a movement as well. And everybody who wants to uh, cause a change in the country can go to elect and 
or and mostly and uh, take action elsewhere, talk to people and uh, think about what the situation is like and what the Federal Republic of Germany um, can renew itself uh, following its own ideals. I think that is something that um, we have to see uh, with the basic law. We both uh, stand on it with both feet and we are firmly anchored in it. There's many good things and we just have to fill it with new life so that it works for us and is not corrupted or abused like we have seen in the past years. Okay. In this sense, Robert, thank you for coming, and uh, you are um, invited to stay. We will turn to our next guest. I think the last... There was a limit on how far we can overdo it, and I think we've just about managed to hold the time, and this is why I'm hoping that we have enough time. And ich wechsle jetzt ins Englische und... Hello, I'm here. Hello, Tiffany. I'm, I'm sorry that we kind of, um, you know, we took as long as you allowed us to be the maximum uh, that we could be in delay. But I'm glad that we made it and that you're still with us and we can talk about it. So um, let me just say a few things uh, to your person, to your strategy and communications consultant. And you're the founder of My Cycle Story, an independent U.S. research group dedicated to studying the effects of the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, um, in particular on the uh, menstruation and uh, fertility. The website is mycyclestory.com. Yeah, maybe if there's something you would like to add um, with introducing yourself. Sure. So I have been a member of the um, health freedom and vaccine risk, risk awareness movement for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And I began my research and um, personal research in the childhood vaccine schedule. And through the efforts that I've done there, I have been introduced to a wonderful network of experts, doctors, and scientists that many of you have spoken with before. And of course, when COVID hit, um, as a marketer and a communication strategist, I recognized that this was an opportunity to draw some attention to some of the issues that we've seen in vaccines in general. We knew that the vaccine was going to come when COVID happened, what we didn't know was the effects that this mRNA technology was going to have, how quickly, how severe, how aggressive, and how dangerous it really was. And um, the My Cycle Story project began when, in January of 2021, they began distribution of these COVID vaccines. And within a very short period of time, women started recognizing extreme irregularities in their menstruation. And so that's when we joined the conversation, myself and several friends and doctors, and realized that this was happening on an absolutely massive global scale. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What What's the status now? What do we know at this point in time? So a little background on how this conversation began. So initially, we started to recognize that women were seeing irregularities after receiving the COVID vaccine. And 
um, we started paying attention to that a little bit. And then we actually started to hear from some personal friends of mine that there were reactions happening to women that did not get the COVID vaccine, that they started experiencing issues having only been in close proximity around someone who was recently vaccinated. So the question came up, is there a possibility that this vaccine could be shedding or transmitting something onto people who were unvaccinated that could cause the same irregularities that we were hearing about. So we posed the question to several doctors that you may be familiar with, Dr. Christiane Northrop, a world-renowned OBGYN, um, Dr. Sherry Tempenny, Dr. Larry Pilevsky, a pediatrician, uh, Dr. Lee Merritt, Dr. Karen Madej. We had a conversation on social media um, discussing the possibility that there absolutely could be transmission happening. And um, clearly we hit something because it seemed that overnight that conversation exploded all over social media. So um, overnight we had 200,000 interactions to the recording and it really spiraled a massive conversation of women sharing their experiences that they were having horrific experiences with their menstrual cycles, with their pregnancy, with their bodies, after having been close to people who were recently vaccinated, alongside the exact same stories from the women who were also vaccinated. Um, so we continued on to this conversation, became a sounding board along with several other social media groups and it became this flood of women sharing their personal experiences. And within two to three weeks, um, big tech and uh, the censorship oligarchs shut down everything. Mm -hmm. So they wiped off the profiles that we were having the discussions on. They shut down every account that was sharing stories of other women. They We had a Facebook page with over 21,000 um, testimonies from individuals, and they wiped it out completely. So in my position of being a communication strategist, I felt a personal responsibility to try to figure out a way to make sure that our women are not being silenced. And, um, you know, I always say in 2021, it's the year that we're supposed to believe women. And it's funny how when a woman has something to say about her body that isn't aligned with the narrative that they're trying to put out, how easy it is to silence them. And so we decided that the only way that we could make these stories lasting and unerasable is to turn them into peer-reviewed published data. And so we um, we began the process of developing a survey, and the survey had 91 questions on it, asking all types of things related to the types of symptoms they were having, if they were vaccinated or not, and um, everything from their health to their stress levels to their pregnancy instances and all of the above, everything in between. And we published our first study uh, uh, in April, this last April, and that was based on one extremely dramatic, rare gynecological abnormality called decisual cast shedding. And so um, that paper has been published. Mm -hmm. 
So in the beginning, I remember that they they came up with like um, explanations why women were having these effects. And I remember like the I think the most crazy, um, the craziest story was that they were so excited to get the vaccines that it kind of, you know, made everything just go out of order and that they were having these like heavy bleedings or like no bleeding at all. I mean, this is like, I mean, uh, mere nonsense. Yeah, they were coming up with every excuse as to why they may be bleeding. Um, another one that we heard a lot was how stressful COVID was on our bodies. And so the stress was causing irregularities. However, this was a year after COVID and there were no issues that people were talking about the year of COVID. It only seemed to begin after the distribution of the vaccines. Um, when we're talking about decidual cash shedding specifically in the literature, uh, oftentimes it's a result of hormonal imbalances related to birth control, hormonal birth control. And um, we, we asked all of these questions and our women were not stressed they were moderately healthy. They were not taking any new medications or vitamins outside of being in the environment of or injecting themselves with this mRNA technology and COVID vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, I I remember, I mean, do you have any like into the what what the reasons might be? I mean, I don't know, maybe we get to that later. I remember that I talked with Ulrike Kemmerer. Professor Kemmerer about this and she said like for instance this heavy bleeding could be that you you know because you have um, these uh, um, well I mean you have the blood clothing kind of uh, uh, going on and um, and then uh, uh, you know that leaves doesn't so that's busy in other areas of the the body basically so there's not enough um, material to kind of stop this uh, bleeding the the regular cycle bleeding. I don't know if you find, I don't I think as I said this in a very non-medical scientific way but like <laughs> that's okay I'm not usually medical or scientific either uh I want to talk if we can about yes. one of the instances that we put our paper on okay. uh, our first paper was published on and it was this incident of decisional cash shedding and I'm bringing this up simply because of how rare and traumatic it is for women to experience something like this. Um, of course, we've all heard about the heavy bleeding and the massive clotting and the extreme cramping. Um, but one thing that stood out to us most immediately as we were collecting these responses was this incident of decidual cast shedding. And basically what that is, is the interior lining of the entire uterus detaches and comes out. It's the endometrial lining. It comes out almost completely in whole, intact. So women were passing something as large as their uterus in the shape of their uterus. And before the COVID vaccine, before these conversations started, this was almost completely unheard of. Um, I've worked with some of the most published and prestigious OBGYNs in the entire world on these projects. And the majority of them have never seen this before in their entire careers until the COVID vaccine distribution happened. And to put a little bit of um, context of how rare this incident actually is, um, we did a lot of literature review and we looked back through all of the research over the past 104 years and we only found 40 cases in 
oh, in 109 years, we only found 40 cases in the medical and scientific literature. In our survey, we had just over 6,000 submissions and we had 292 reported. Um, that's 4.83% of our total group. So, and, that, and, and the majority of those people um, reported their symptoms over two and a half months. We only looked over the course of seven months, but the majority, 83% of that group reported within two months that this was happening to them. Mm -hmm. So, and with censorship, you know, we weren't able to get as many submissions as we actually wanted, which were initial part of the massive conversation. But um, because of the censorship, it was hard to get that survey out. So I can't even imagine the volume of women going through such a traumatic event. And going back to the question about what, what is happening and what could be causing this, um, in the literature of that decisional cast, it's almost always an extreme change in hormones and progesterone. And that's from a traumatic miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy or um, a very conflicting um, uh, effect on your body on a hormonal contraceptive. So we know that the majority of the women that took our survey were not on hormonal contraceptives. Um, they were all having moderate to regular periods for the average amount of time. They were healthy. They were not super stressed. And um, these horrible uh, situations were happening to them still. Wow. And do you have any information if this phenomenon occurred several times to the the women that you were in touch with, or and and was it like did it, you know, did uh, the menstruation cycle then return to normal at some point? So we were seeing a lot of different symptoms. That was just one of them, right? Uh, we were seeing everything from women's periods suddenly completely stopping abruptly and missing for four or five months at a time. Mm -hmm. We were seeing women who were hemorrhaging for, I, I knew women who, I know women who are still bleeding almost consistently for over a year now. Um, I, I received photos of massive blood clots, the size of a softball. Um, and so we were seeing all kinds of very irregular, dramatic uh, symptoms that women were seeing. Some of them recovered over a short period of time. And like I mentioned, some of them are still continuing to go on. And then some of them, especially in these shedding, shedding cases, they'll recover. And then it's like clockwork when they go around someone who was recently vaccinated, it will happen to them all over again. So um, it's really it's really tough to give an assumption of whether or not this is something that's going to necessarily be temporary or permanent. But what I do think that we're starting to see is that um, the sooner in the in terms of shedding, um, the sooner you're in contact the sooner your symptoms show for those who were recently vaccinated, um, uh, the more severe the symptoms will be. And usually it does seem to fade over time. And I do know that according to Dr. Dan McDyer and Dr. Jim Thorpe, um, it, they haven't seen evidence of major permanent damage in these cases. Um, it does seem that when the recovery happens, that women are still able to recover. However, we don't know the impact of the vaccines and, and what they'll have in long-term fertility.
I mean, we're seeing this uh, the the drop in in birth rates all over the world, basically. Um, and I mean, with a lot of women experiencing any sort of these menstrual menstrual uh, cycle issues, um, I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons. I mean, because these are these women are basically, I mean, if in case they would like to uh, conceive, they're taken out of the picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I work very closely with Dr. Jim Thorpe, who is the board certified obstet um, obstet obstetrics and gynecologist and maternal fetal medicine. And um, he's always talking about that he's seen many, many, many complications in pregnancies and his moms and the fetuses and the children and offspring. And he's deeply concerned about the the long-term effects on fertility. And one thing that, and I don't have the exact numbers from his last study on this, but I do know that there actually was an increase in live births in 2020, um, but there is a dramatic decrease in live births um, in 2021. And so the, the age old, um, excuse of the virus, the COVID virus being the reason for these issues, it just doesn't add up. It only really began after the distribution of the vaccines. Mm -hmm. and oh, may I may have uh, just a short remark? Uh, we know that uh, the, the, the RNA is uh, for several weeks to be found in the bloodstream uh, with, uh, with, the, with the lipid nanoparticles around. And uh, we know that they are still longer to be found when they are enclosed in, in exosomes. Exosomes are like mm -hmm. packets our body makes with a different stuff inside. So there, there may be there may be this this uh, mRNA inside. There may be uh, also the spike protein may be enveloped and 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 circle around in in exosomes. So they, and then we know that those particles even pass into the brain. They go, they can pass the board, the the the, the border there, and uh, so influence the nervous system. And we know that the nervous system has a very important role in hormonal regulation. So the yep. gonadotropine, for instance, and the hypothesis, and all this, all this, uh, this. Uh, yeah, this system. The, the hormonal, the level of hormonal um, of hormones is is may have this have many reasons. If there is some, if there is some irregularities, maybe that the hormonal regulation doesn't work. Maybe that the, the mucosa is damaged. Maybe other things that that maybe what what you told us that there are there are thrombosis somewhere in the body and that there are not enough thrombocytes so that there is some bleeding on another place all those things um, that the thrombocytes are consumed by by coagulation all this is possible mm -hmm. so there are many many reasons and maybe there are always different ways how this expresses is expressed so do you have a system do you know people who are developing a system of how to find out what it is do you have a system of differential diagnosis? Was it elaborated? So such a, a flow chart, you know, when this, then that, right. for that, and you find out what, what's happening there. And the, do, you, do you have such a thing? 
Yeah, um, we are working on it. So it's interesting because we have to build this out into layers. And the very first step is proving that something is happening, right? And so we dig in, we prove that something is not right, something is happening. Then we start asking, what is the next question? Uh, what exactly is happening? Because we, when we know what's happening inside the body, then we know what we need to do to treat. For example, um, most of these women who visit their gynecologist because they're having issues, um, the biggest response from the gynecologist is get on birth control. Uh, most people know that if this is a clotting issue, that birth control is probably one of the worst things you can put into your body because a side effect of birth control pills is clotting. So when we know exactly what is happening inside the system, then we'll know exactly what we need to do to treat it. And so we're going to be working on a new layer of the research and we're working with pathologists and Dr. Ryan Cole, for example, and we're going to be taking a look at some samples of um, endometrial biopsies and even menstrual blood under a microscope to see if we can figure out what exactly is happening. And that will help us with knowing what to do to treat it. The other question is, what is causing this? And like you said, um, it could be that spike protein. It could be uh, encapsulated and and we'll know if it's shedding if we if it is spike protein we need to determine if it's shedding because the way the spike protein um shows itself in someone who's vaccinated is completely different than someone who's received uh or who's just caught covid and the vaccine um spike protein if it does shed onto other people uh without having COVID, you should be able to tell the difference of what's going on inside of them. And so if we get the answer of it being spike protein, then we can work on how to prevent that from shedding, right? Um, but if it's not spike protein, it could be several other things that are inside this COVID vaccine, and that could be causing different things. Um, so, so we're investigating two things. One is what is happening so that we can try to help women with what to do. And then if, first and foremost, if it is spike protein that is causing that, and if it is possible that the spike protein itself is what's shedding onto people. So we've got two tracks on um, a pathology study that we are just getting ramped up for. And what we're doing with My Cycle Story is developing the initial project into a complete 501c3 so that we can raise funds to expand and develop research that's going to help us get the answers to those questions. Um, there are, I think that there are probably eight mechanisms of of what's happening that we're going to be digging into and seeing if we can just start finding the answers. But at the end of the day, as of right now, there is so much we don't know. And so we just have to dig in deeper. You know, the, the work of Helen Banon, Banon, or I don't know if she's spoken. She's a French, a French scientist put together all those possibilities of shedding or made a system of what it could be and how it could be shedded and uh, has collected all the, the scientific evidence existing about that. It's a very little mm -hmm. and they didn't, um, no, normally there is a lot of science about shedding in gene therapy because in gene therapy everyone agreed yes. that this could be dangerous and because this is called vaccination, although it is gene therapy, there is no science. But you can use all the science which was done 
to, to find out the risks of gene therapy. And you can use this science, which was made there, for estimating the risk, uh, which is going on now with this RNA uh, gene therapy, which is called uh, vaccination. So there is yeah, a lot absolutely. And Mrs. Banun, and you know, she 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 put it together. She 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 made a yes. She made a re something like a review. I think it. Oh, it's frozen. The picture is frozen. Uh, Wolfgang, where is that lady from? From France. We should ask her, we should ask her and try to invite her. And is that something she published recently? In November last year. Mm -hmm. I have translated it in German, I shall publish it, her work in German. Mm -hmm. um, Corwin, gibt es irgendwelche Informationen, ob sie wieder reinkommt? Vielleicht, vielleicht versucht sie es gerade. Okay, sie scheint rausgeflogen zu sein. Internetabbruch. Okay. Ähm. Ich, kann das, ich kann das sonst mal raussuchen, kann das gleich mal zeigen, dieses, diese Arbeit. Ja, vielleicht kannst du auch was dazu sagen, das wäre nicht uninteressant, weil es passt ja eigentlich sehr gut jetzt. Ja. Well, she looked at uh, where can this genetic information turn up, um, what studies are available, how long can it turn up, and uh, she found that it could be any uh, bodily fluids, uh, the uh, nanomolecules, the nanoparticles, um, the DNA or fractions of the DNA, and she found that the encapsulated fractions that were in the cell already, those are spikes or RNA, they can be encapsulated in those um, exosomes and be um, shed again. And they're almost like um, packages. Uh, they come from a cell and they uh, it's almost like they have address labels. They can move into other cells then, and uh, then you have to see what are the addresses of gynecologically important or relevant uh, recipient cells are uh, involved. That uh, might help to explain this. There is some research there. And of course, this research was done uh, to evaluate gene therapy and the risks involved. And she summarized it to an extent. Maybe it's not a complete um, survey. She mixed a few things, scientific uh, reports um, and um, case studies that cannot be scientifically evaluated. She brought these things together in order to make a start at researching this. Now, if industry says they want to uh, generate more RNA um, uh, vaccines, then this type of research will be very important that it has to be focused on because the responsible authorities told us that these so-called vaccines that we were supposed to be given now um, 
with uh, in the context of COVID-19 um, will be injected into the muscular tissue um, where it can cause some discomfort. It stays there for a very short time and then it will be destroyed. And that was the story and that is not true at all. It lingers for months or weeks or months. This uh, genetic information remains active for all that time. And that should mean that it mustn't be used at all anymore because the preconditions aren't right. Um, that they told people, um, never mind all the side effects. Okay, here does Tiffany Perotto wieder. Sorry about that. Yes, I can hear you. I apologize. I got dropped. <laughs> yeah, maybe your information um, was did, too hot. <laughs> maybe. Um, I did want to touch on the gene therapy conversation before I dropped. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually were having a discussion about this last night because recently um, some information has come out about the Institutional Biosafety Committee, the IBC. And typically when research is done on any kind of drug, um, any kind of research has to go through uh, internal review boards, right? But specifically when it comes to gene therapies, they need to be approved through the Institutional Biosafety Committee. And apparently it's come out over the past few weeks um, that with the, with the, uh, the DOD, basically gave things a blanket coverage for military defense purposes during this distribution of the COVID vaccine, which in turn, and I don't know if I'm articulating this correctly, but basically allowed the COVID vaccine to be completely um, sideswiped from the requirement of being um, tested for biosafety. And so that lack of oversight and resources... Yeah, and safety protocols were bypassed, and the committees which are established to 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 find out the risk of those new methods, they were bypassed. They were not asked. They were not involved. Completely, and almost the primary purpose of the IBC is to determine if shedding can occur. Mm -hmm. In <laughs> yeah, so yeah. the fact that they completely skipped over that step. Uh, is a huge reason why we need to look into this because there isn't even any evidence or report that they checked for this whatsoever. So they can't even say that it doesn't do that because they never tested it. Yes, it didn't even make animal studies. Yep. You could you could find out something about shedding even with animals, start investigating there. Mm -hmm. so, and now we have, it's a, it's a pity, but now we have many human uh, guinea pigs who are who ex who have been exposed where we can study more. Yep, and the DOD, the FDA, the NIH, the CDC—they're all off the hook. And with with regards to these, um, so that's a question from the audience: like, how dangerous is it to be around the vaccinated? I mean, what did the women report apart from the menstrual uh, issues? Were there other things that they reported? Yes, she's, uh, um, just, there were. Uh, she found she found out that it is several weeks when you are freshly when somebody is freshly having got this job the risk of shedding is really big so when you when you have close contact with liquids of of the person who is uh, who is uh, has been has got this job it's not just speaking and so and it's more it's intimate contact like mothers have it with their children like lovers have it so if you have such an intimate contact, you, there is a risk at least for four weeks. So at least, and she says even more, 
So I was already thinking of having, you know, putting people who got this jab, they should be in quarantine because they can give it, they can transport it to others, those risks. We didn't, it's a little bit exaggerated, you know, but if we would think like they thought, how, why they put people in quarantine, this risk for the close contacts is as, as big. So we, um, right. we have, we have to have a very science-based discussion on it. I just, I just say this to, 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 to in, in, enforce uh, all the scientists to look after that because there are so many people at risk and they want to go on using this technology for other purposes too. And they don't call it gene therapy. They call it, they even, they even lie to us. They say there is a vaccination against cancer. And they call it vaccination already, which is a yes. nonsense. It's all gene therapy. And it could be, it should be called like this because the risks are all the same. Are all, all this, it's from the technology that the risk comes and not from the name. Mm -hmm. I will say our second paper that we're writing right now is specifically addressing the shedding issue. So when we did our survey, um, we asked women about proximity, the women who were unvaccinated, we asked, we asked um, how close they were, if they were bed sharing, if they were intimate, if they had um, uh, other people in their households that were vaccinated, if they went to the office every day or once a week. Um, and we found that 83% of the women who were experiencing issues were regularly within six feet of those who were recently vaccinated. And then for the women who uh, know when their symptoms began after encountering someone who was recently vaccinated, the symptoms typically showed up, 72% showed up within one week. And I will say, for the re the reactions that happened within one to three days of being around someone vaccinated, those symptoms for the women are starting to lean towards being much more severe. So that gives me the idea that it does diminish over time. Um, however, it's definitely a close proximity issue. Um, we're digging into how long or what the risk is and what we can do about that. But I will say that there is a huge difference between getting these, the issue, the, the spike protein, the, the, the chemicals injected into your body and encountering them in your environment. So I think that we should take solstice in knowing that general health and well-being, making good decisions for your family and what you eat and the sunshine and the activity, all of those things are going to play a role with everything that you encounter on an environmental level. Just don't inject it. Mm -hmm. But there, I mean, is, there is one other thing which is very important. There were several hundred babies that were that were getting getting seriously ill by an hepatitis. It was an autoimmune hepatitis, and in most of the cases, adenoviruses were found, which was very peculiar. Those babies were not vaccinated, but nobody looked whether the mothers got uh, or the fathers, they're close to the parents, got got those shots from AstraZeneca, for instance, which use adenoviruses as vectors. And you know the Sputnik, in, in, the Sputnik uh, injections. The Russians have have also a vector uh, a jab, and this was re retracted because they found out that those vectors started to multiply. 
they were they were living the 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 the, the viruses were were going to reproduce themselves with the, and they were genetically modified so they transported the the RNA, I know they have, I think they have a DNA, but I'm, I'm not sure. So they transported the genetic information to people who were not at all vaccinated themselves. There was shedding there and it was a big risk and they retracted this vaccine. They stopped it. And um, I think it is, it is so irresponsible, you know, that the scientists who are now looking for those children with hepatitis, Severe, they get liver transplant even. Several of children had to be liver transplanted. They were seriously ill. And the scientists who were, were very much alarmed, what is this? They were not vaccinated. They did not even ask the question which, which vaccine their parents got. They did not have it in their, in their work. It was not mentioned. This is irresponsible. Mm -hmm. I think there has to be done a big, big review on this, on this science. Um, Tiffany, yeah, absolutely. But, but from, from what you found, so basically we can also, I mean, these people six feet uh, distance to the to the the vaccine, the, the vaccinated person. So, but that suggests that not all of them were um, really intimate, but we have these effects also just being around whatever grandma or yeah, it's um, and these are assumptions, um, but yes, being around people within six feet, um, it seems actually less likely for those who have who just simply share a household with someone who was recently vaccinated um, and more likely with close encounters on a regular basis, because I believe it has to do with just quantity in general. So if you if your spouse is vaccinated, for example, then their the shedding capabilities seem to fade over time. Whereas if you're in an office environment or a grocery store, you're kind of constantly at battle based on when those around you are getting vaccinated. So that's something that we're starting to recognize as we look at the data for the second paper. And we'll be touching on it um, when we publish that in the next future. There is, there is one other thing that they found out that uh, there is a high concentration of genetic information or of spikes in the sweat. I have to look it up whether it was uh, the RNA. I think it was the, it was the, the vaccination stuff. Uh, they found in the sweat of people who was, if you, if you have contact sweating people like they in sport or so and you and, and, and have close contact. So maybe there is a risk there too. And, um, they, it's very interesting to find out all those difficult the concentration in the in the different liquids of the body uh, were mm -hmm. uh, examined and they examined in in those scientific works where they tried to examine the the gene therapy and the effects of gene therapy. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've heard about the women who are vaccinated and they breastfeed their baby and their baby yeah. dies. Um, we absolutely know that it's in. The breast milk so um the sweat any um any fluids that come out of your body i i i'm certain that it's in there well i mean this this suggests that there's a research to be done years on end um it's it's like we're just only starting to get a glimpse of what's really going on there and uh, it's, it's yeah. really so important. I mean, your work is so important, you know, that you start with this network also of really like um, potent doctors and, and researchers that you start doing these, these kind of uh, research and asking the right questions. I think it's so important that we do this and that, I mean, the, the government is in complete denial 
uh, they're not pushing for mm -hmm. this kind of research that would be, um, I mean, also for the, the, the people. I mean, it's, we, we got to help. You know, we really yeah, can't, you know. absolutely. Thank you. And that's our objective. And we there is a lot more to come. So um, for the viewers, visit mycyclestory.com and subscribe. We'll be evolving that site to um, showcase and develop more continued research in the very near future and just keep pushing towards answering some of the questions that they're in denial of. Wow, amazing. Yeah, fantastic. I don't know if is there's anything to add. I see that you also have you have some more like connection issues. Is, is there anything you would need to share with us in case uh, you now get disconnected again? Um, no, I just want to thank you for letting me join on the show. Um, this has become a very big conversation. We're continuing to try to pursue answers to these questions and give women their voices back and. Um, any questions, just visit mycyclestory.com. Okay, fantastic. Thank We're going to link that. And maybe if we could get like hold of your peer-reviewed uh, study also to publish that for the audience, maybe we can also translate it, like at least the most important um, parts into German so people can read it and, you know, get the information also out to others. Yeah, thanks Absolutely. so much. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Ja, ein sehr wichtiges Projekt ähm, von Tiffany Parotto und anderen, äh, eben wirklich sich genauer mit dem Shady. Parotto, to look at these menstrual problems, which just seems to have taken uh, extreme forms. I don't know if our next guest is with us already. He is. Yes, he is, but he needs to switch on his mic. Fantastic. So I'm happy to welcome Wilfried Schmidt. Wilfried Schmidt's with us. He's a lawyer and he has he's known to us from a couple of sessions already. Amongst others, he has lead uh, led the soldiers uh, complaint and he is active in other fields today. Today, he's going to talk about a criminal charge against Lauterbach, the Federal Minister of Health, um, with severe bodily harm, and uh, others, all employees of his Ministry of Health. Um, also against uh, those responsible at EMR, uh, EMA, EMA, and PI. Maybe Wilfried, you can give us an update. Yes, hello, everybody. Well, thanks a lot for the invite. <clears throat> I'd like to give you an upgrade uh, on uh, something that we did um, <clears throat> to defend the uh, rights of uh, vaccine um, victims, but an upgrade on um, this um, um, law uh, court case, it's still uh, ongoing, so I'm still um, their lawyer. So I'm curious to see uh, how willing public prosecutors are to start investigating. Uh, so two of my criminal complaints went to Berlin. Um, the other one went to Darmstadt uh, because uh, they are responsible for Paul Ehrlich Institute. So I filed a criminal complaint against the PEI, against EMA, uh, and against um, Health Minister Lauterbach to see whether they um, actually will become active and supporters have come uh, forth 
So far, no public prosecutor has indicated that they are willing to start investigating. I used to think that uh, mass murder was a topic that might be interesting to public prosecutors, but maybe that is no longer the case in Germany. So I um, not only complained for uh, bodily harm um, leading to death, uh, but I also um, uh, filed a complaint again, uh, for murder uh, because uh, they um, uh, because it was uh, deliberate and um, there were other um, components of um, what defines murder. But so far, uh, I um, um, uh, followed suit and I said, well, you have to investigate here, but they're not willing. And I also filed a complaint against the um, management uh, uh, of the uh, Federal Armed Forces, our former uh, defense minister, that was Ms. Kamp-Karrenbauer, who introduced um, the vaccination obligation in uh, November of uh, 21. And the uh, vaccination obligation still stands. And um, this uh, takes me to the topic of what I'm uh, talking about today. Those are pe victims. I can submit a uh, complaint um, if I learn about something, if I actually learn of the fact that further crimes are intended, then everybody um, who learns about this is obliged to take this to the attention of the authorities. That was not on a whim. Um, on the basis of all I know, all the knowledge that I've accumulated uh, over the last year um, makes it evident, really. We are dealing here with a vaccination campaign that is completely irresponsible due to complete failure of the competent institutions, uh, Paul Ehrlich Institute, RKI, the uh, Minister of Health, the Minister of Defense, and the leading medical officers in the Federal Army. Um, so that is something that every layperson can immediately understand. If I put down a glass of uh, a drink and I say this really uh, is very tasty and I know that many people have uh, died of it already, then uh, this is absolutely um, malicious. So new things come uh, to the fore nearly on a daily basis. And uh, we can now actually uh, speak to the uh, public on this. This, of course, um, generates a lot of work. But if I see that I get a, a trivial response, a response by the public prosecutor after a few days, well, uh, it says that uh, several highly motivated uh, public prosecutors would take weeks in order to be able to uh, look into the merits of my complaint. And uh, I don't know what it takes so long, maybe go out, buy uh, coffee beans and, and uh, brew them, but certainly not to get into the um, ins and outs of this matter. I could take it further. That would be the next step. Well, I expected this kind of response, of course. I didn't expect them to take action, even if they are uh, responsible, to, uh, if they have, are obliged to do that. Um, these official um, 
crimes that everybody uh, can complain about uh, are uh, things that the public prosecutor has to investigate. Nobody can interfere them, nobody can stop them. Everybody who learns about such crime can make a complaint and with certain uh, preconditions, if they're in place, uh, everybody's actually obliged to do that. Now, the big issue is, of course, I um, followed up on what was discussed on the social media over the last few months. Uh, one important topic was um, that, that hasn't been really dealt with. Uh, what rights and uh, options do vaccination victims have? We have to speak of uh, modified RNA rather than vaccines, so I, I just cut it short by calling them vaccines, I know. There are interesting options there under the criminal code. There's the adhesion um, um, procedure, for instance. I thought that people were well uh, aware of this. I uh, couldn't find that um, this had been made public in the context of um, vaccination uh, victims. And that's why I contacted you and uh, saying that I would like to talk about this to an extent. Um, it's self-explanatory. just need to read through the criminal code. It's all found in paragraph 395 following in the criminal code. And uh, I just like to summarize it. Everybody can uh, submit such a complaint without a, a lawyer if they're a victim. That doesn't trigger any costs. Um, that's what people ask me again and again. That's why I'm saying it. I have made several, uh, submitted several complaints. Uh, and there were people who were willing to adhere to this, and they always asked me again and again, what costs um, does it uh, trigger? It doesn't uh, cause any costs um, to file a complaint. Of course, um, if the uh, public prosecutor, the public prosecutor can, of course, um, respond in a very uh, nasty way. They might have to say um, whether this is true, what you're complaining here, but that's a joke, of course. Um, I can uh, defend myself better than uh, they can um, prosecute me. That is actually um, 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 obstruction of justice um, by officials, um, and I um, complain against that as well. So this is really ridiculous. So don't be um, intimidated, particularly if you're a vaccination victim. And uh, these uh, criminal complaints are always directed at individuals, not companies or authorities. So if public prosecutors uh, do their job, then they actually have to go after the people in positions of responsibility. And then, of course, we have to uh, secure evidence. We um, see new evidence every day, nearly, um, uh, emails that were uh, uh, publicized between Pfizer and email, etc. It was obvious, really. Uh, if you know that everything hasn't been um, tested when it uh, came to the um, restricted approval, uh, it was obvious that there had to be some agreement to suspend effective uh, medication control procedures, of course, and that was com uh, confirmed by the mail correspondence between EMR and Pfizer. I haven't had a, the time to read all of this yet. Is there any possibility to take the excuse and turn around saying this was a military action and this is why all this doesn't uh, count? <clears throat> no good, no, because the criminal code always refers to individuals, natural persons, 
So an individual can always say, oh, I'm not to blame because there are other um, uh, culprits. Um, and as a public prosecutor, you have to clarify who, uh, what involvement in the uh, crime was there. In Germany, um, that's the way, and it's similar in Switzerland. So there's a perpetrator, and then there's also the uh, the concept of the perpetrator behind the perpetrator. So uh, if you're uh, involved in certain structures, as is the case with organized crime, but also in the case of the armed forces, for instance, where you have all the hierarchy uh, that's um, instrumentalized to um, get soldiers to be jabbed. So the perpetrator behind the perpetrator is a perpetrator as well. I don't have to go into a more detail here, but um, for the prosecutor, um, the problem is always there's uh, always the perpetrator, the accessory, and um, the uh, instigator. Um, but the perpetrator behind the perpetrator uh, he will also be a perpetrator, even though the front man will actually commit the crime, um, implements the crime, but dogmatically speaking, that is a problem. If I have a perpetrator who actually implements the crime, then, dogmatically speaking, someone behind that can only be the instigator, but uh, jurisdiction has realized that this is, that doesn't do justice to real life, because um, uh, you would only look um, at the uh, source of the evil as an instigator. So in Germany, you can't do that. Uh, you don't uh, don't get away that lightly. Immunity of people in the government and ministries. The parliament has to lift that. Right. And that leads to very interesting questions of whether Parliament will do that because many MPs were involved as well. So, um, who is supposed to um, lift immunity? Um, then everybody else will be affected. So, in Parliament, there will be little, in um, little inclination to cooperate, even though they're obliged to do so. So the prosecutors could. Uh follow up on that, can't they? And they have to hide behind that. Well, yes, but they can't hide behind the fact that, well, they are obliged to investigate. So if there are certain um, <coughs> complaints, then by law they're required to investigate, um, to do all the things that a prosecutor, public prosecutor, um, has been endowed with certain powers, with four. So, um, of course, judges and public prosecutors would uh, contradict this because the institution also protects the prosecutor. But it's obvious that a prosecutor who does their job protecting people from any dangers is a blessing for society, while uh, a prosecutor who doesn't do that job uh, for opportunistic reasons or for fear um, is a curse on, on society. So. The next points for certain uh, follow-up damage, um, when is an um, adhesion uh, procedure possible? You can always be represented as a uh, by a lawyer, um, as an accessory lawyer. And the interesting thing is that for certain crimes, the lawyer will always be paid for by the government, by the state. 
So that is also the case if the victim um, is well-to-do. For instance, um, Article 3 in 95 says uh, the uh, victim has uh, a right to act as a, uh, an incidental uh, plaintiff if they have been uh, bodily harmed. But also, and this is very important here, um, if uh, they have uh, suffered bodily harm according to the criminal code. So um, serious bodily harm, um, that is the uh, most important aspect. Um, serious bodily harm means that there are significant health uh, implications for the victim. And uh, 395 of the Criminal um, uh, Code of Procedure uh, says that an incidental plaintiff can be any person whose uh, children, parents, um, siblings, uh, partners, or uh, spouses have been killed by an, a crime. So in these cases, you wouldn't have a risk for the proceedings, would you? Exactly. That's very important because if you want to sue a BioNTech or Pfizer uh, for damages under civil code, um, it causes a lot of uh, costs um, uh, unless you have a good um, legal protection insurance. Um, Allianz, for instance, are willing to support this by now. So it seems that there's only one um, legal protection um, insurance company that uh, doesn't support this yet. But um, if you don't have any uh, insurance for that case, you don't need it if you simply have this uh, adhesion procedure. So there are certain crimes, murder, uh, homicides, uh, severe bodily harm, where you can latch on um, and your lawyer will be paid for by the state, even if you are wealthy. So you don't have to pay any contribution to the court case, under German law at least. The state will finance the lawyer. That's a huge advantage. And if you lose, you don't have to pay um, the opponent's um, defense. In the civil code, it's the winner takes it all. If you win, then the opposing side has to uh, pay for all the costs, um, court costs, law, uh, lawyers, etc. If you lose, you have to pay yourself and have to, uh, to pay your opponent's uh, costs, but you don't have that in a criminal case if you are uh, using the adhesion procedure. The only um, downside would be that the opponent might be exonerated, but at least you don't have to pay for uh, the um, uh, defendant's um, defense. So people who don't have the money for a lawyer and for the court uh, uh, costs, of course, you can ask for uh, cost uh, support if you don't have money um, in a civil um, uh, case, a civil code case, but I don't know if this is granted to you. Um, and then you have to have a, a lawyer as well. That's a different question. So if the courts uh, will not um, grant you any uh, subsidy, 
for the um, cost of procedures. Um, the court may say, well, we don't see any um, um, prospect of success here, then that's the end of the case for you if you don't have the money to pay for your own lawyer. And let me uh, jump um, a bit here. Um, so we're talking here about the victim or their heirs. They can uh, make a claim um, if it hasn't been, if there's no civil um, law case pending yet, then they can actually um, latch on to a criminal case. In other words, if you're a victim through the adhesion procedure, and that's only part of the criminal case, it's called adhesion procedure. In practice, it means that the uh, adhesion uh, plaintiff and uh, they can claim their compensation, um, their compensation for damages for um, uh, injuries sustained. That is a very powerful weapon. So those were uh, some very important aspects by way of introduction. So you can uh, claim damages, um, compensation for damages. And uh, public prosecutors, um, if they refuse to investigate, uh, like in my case, you can complain against uh, this. It goes to the uh, prosecutor general at state level. and. Um, um, if they refuse to order um, uh, investigations, uh, prosecution, then you can actually uh, sue um, the public prosecutor. Then the um, state courts uh, will have to uh, look at the case. And if they rule that this is a case that has to be investigated, then the public prosecutor has to take action. Um, so I'm um, preparing this by now. Everybody, uh, will, um, individuals will find it difficult to do that, but I can take victims through these procedures. I'm well prepared by now. And then uh, you would have to discuss everything. In principle, all the victims should uh, try to secure as many, um, um, as much proof as they can. Clinical diagnosis, um, a, a doctor who is knowledgeable, and they will know what parameters are important. So I discussed this a few days ago with Professor Ulrike Kemmerer, and she told me as well that um, this is really important. Um, that you have the best um, evidence available if you claim that you have a vaccination damage and I want to sue such and such a person because I relied on their statements. So you have to differentiate between a corona infection and the proof of uh, the uh, cause of the jab. This can be done for example, by determining uh, antibodies against spikes and um, the shell of a virus. If you only have the antibodies against the spikes, but no antibodies against the 
uh, virus, that points out that this was caused by the injection and not by the virus, because then the rest of the virus would uh, cause some antibody reactions. If you can't show that, then that is an important point in proving the so-called vaccination consequence. <clears throat> yes, and in this context, an important point to check is one of my colleagues had indications that prosecutors, um, apparently instructed by the uh, general prosecutor, um, incinerate uh, bodies where the died person supposedly died because of the vaccination. So um, this couldn't be clarified. And everybody who has gone through this, and it's important also uh, against the will of the relatives, they were incinerated, yes, against the will of the relatives. And of course, that's a no-go. That is destroying evidence, yes. If that is systematic, uh, that is um, quite uh, quite bad, and that is obstruction of the justice. And if the body is gone, then it can't be uh, no post mortem can be done, and then the most important part of evidence has been destroyed. And in this case, the relatives only have opportunity to look at the doctor's files uh, to move on, and so it must that must be cleared. And so if there are people who think that they have this kind of experience and they would like to um, call out to this, I talked to Tobias Ulrich from Düsseldorf. They can contact him as well and report this to him by mail. I only know it the other way around, that the relatives want that body is to be uh, incinerated so that you can't find the residual um, of the doctors, uh, of the uh, of the murderer. And then this uh, corpse has to go to the official doctor, and only if the official doctor finds any points or doesn't find anything, um, and if he finds any issue, he can't um, approve the incineration, and he has to inform the prosecution. And then if the prosecution is uh, uh, incinerated quickly, there has to be some kind of proceedings um, leading up to this, and uh, there has to be something that uh, is decided. And uh, of course, then it'd be important that this person is um, found out. Yes, of course. Uh, the one who has the uh, respective motives, who know about their guilt, they have a natural interest in um, doing away with the evidence. And if the state does this, the government does this, and uh, instructs the uh, prosecution to incinerate corpses, then that, uh, of course, underpins that suspicion. And this is why we need to get um, reports from experience. Uh, as I said, uh, Tobias uh, is ready to take in this action. You can report it to me if you want to. I can forward it or directly. I have limited capacity to work in this, but um, um, his law firm can do this. Who has access to the court? If the relatives want this to be 
inspected and examined and uh, they say if you want to burn it I take the course and bring it elsewhere um, the, the the person doesn't want to be buried in Germany they want to be buried elsewhere give me the corpse and I bring it elsewhere and it can be um, autopsy can be done there who has access to the corpse well factually if there is a suspicion that this is a non-natural death and the corpse had to be stored, it is first of all confiscated and then um, the prosecution has access to it. And of course they have to um, consider the will of the relatives. They can't simply uh, decide what's going to do, what's going to happen with it. That's uh, impossible, and once that's done, it's of course too late. So, uh, obviously, um, the relatives have to file criminal courts for this and sue this and make this public. And a good approach would be to do uh, to look at this systematically, whether this actually takes place in practical life. Um, there are, at the moment, just hints that a couple of people happen through this. Um, whether the prosecution is ready to uh, investigate against itself is, of course, questionable. But for the relatives, it looks like their respective politicians uh, have uh, built up a big pile of bullshit here, which is uh, much worse and higher than the Himalaya. And they uh, have to say, we can't push this under the rug. The rug, every rug in the world is too small for it. What can we do? We can do away with evidence. So that is the severe suspicion. And of course, that uh, demands for clarification, obviously, because, you know, mainstream um, has uh, picked up on this. Um, it is just critical article after critical article. Yesterday, there was one in the Berlin newspaper with the whole scandal being reported. And um, I wanted to read it just before the show, um, but it's already seems to be um, deleted. But the title looked very promising. <clears throat> so. This is um, what we, what I've been missing from the discussion, the rights of the people who were harmed um, according to criminal uh, code. And there is great advantages here besides um, uh, if you file a suit, of course, then um, you can do that. But in the process, you can't uh, again um, claim punitive damage. That's cut off, but um, I will go down that criminal uh, code road and uh, the same thing applies. Um, they have the right for the incendiary um, complaint um, and that is also possible for relatives if the respective victim has died. So that is fundamental from my point of view. The people should get informed about this and um, just read the text of the law. That is very self-explanatory. Let me just check if I have forgotten anything. There's a couple of formalities which are not so important. Um, there are quite rights of the respective person. And uh, so um, the joint plaintiffs and um, they can uh, call the um, 
judge as biased and uh, they have evidence right they can make statements and and later on they can appeal and uh, they can have a lawyer and that lawyer is payable by the state so if one could do that of course there's complicated questions and uh, only a lawyer can really go through all of this and in addition the people who are harmed are harmed so much that they don't have the power to take this forward by themselves without any additional support what about the cost of experts? Well, if the court asks for an expertise, that is paid by the state. <clears throat> the whole evidence program is possible. The uh, joint plaintiff uh, has a right to do this, and the matter may be so complex that the uh, court can't assess this by himself, and then the court has to take the evidence and um, then the future will have to tell us on how far the readiness of the criminal judges is uh, to, to do this. Yeah, you should make use of that opportunity. Actually, yes, it's quite right. I have a doctor who is uh, charged in uh, um, issuing um, vaccination certificates who are not vaccinated and for me even if that were the case that is um, a very critical phase in which of the german post-war history he has taken his uh, oath seriously protecting his uh, patients and uh, there are the worst reports possible. A mother directly after delivering was um, <clears throat> forced to get a vaccination passport. And otherwise, she wouldn't be able to see her own baby. So they uh, excluded the mother from contact to her baby. And if a doctor says, that's enough, enough is enough, I have to help that mother, then he uh, takes action against the background of all what we know by now, it's quite clear it is an emergency case, and that justifies it. So whether it's 1,000 or 5,000 certificates without having uh, given the shots, that is an emergency action, and that is well justified in order to protect, uh, protect the health of the patients. Quite clear. So, uh, can he actually uh, charge for it if he didn't issue the certificate? Well, actually, the case I'm talking about, um, he didn't charge. Well, I think you have to make that distinction, too. Yeah, it was very altruistic. He just wanted to help the people. And uh, this is how I compare him to Oskar Schindler. And uh, that would be, for example, one point uh, to have this kind of issue looked at by a criminal court. And I'm going to do that. The court will only have the opportunity to come to a proper deal um, uh, um, to get out of it. But if criminal justice doesn't want to do that, say, we don't want to do this, and then I will file these cases. And then the experts like Professor Hartnett, Professor Zenickson, Professor Kamara, and others can uh, make their appearance as experts on the courts and uh, do that. That's the obvious approach. And um, <clears throat> we really have to make sure that the doctor is not only has the right to do this, but he has the obligation to protect his, his 
um, <coughs> his uh, patients. So in other words, a doctor who knows what we know here, that uh, uh, this vaccination is highly dangerous, um, those are uh, all things that were suspended by this, uh, by the ordinances. Uh, so uh, physicians were cut off from information. That was systematic. This was uh, caused by the health minister, um, who now says, well, we should start forgiving. No, but the victims still have um, uh, to fight with their uh, um, disabilities. So to confront someone uh, with that, a vaccination, uh, a vaccine victim with that, well, that's, there's nothing to forgive there. So people have procedural rights and they have the right to be represented by a lawyer, and they should because um, a criminal uh, lawyers, uh, criminal judges are no friends of uh, civil uh, code, um, and they don't want to deal with the questions of um, compensatory payments. But it is possible under the uh, criminal procedural uh, code. Um, and so um, it says that um, the plaintiff must be provided uh, with a lawyer so you can get them at the expense of the state when we're dealing with severe bodily harm. And severe, severe bodily harm, according to the criminal code, is self-explanatory. You can see immediately what, what it means. Let me just call it up. Um, it says here, and that was all uh, in place beforehand, severe bodily harm means that the um, victim loses um, the um, uh, use of a limb, of um, their uh, vision, uh, hearing, um, or fertility or virility or loses an important bodily member or cannot use it uh, permanently um, or is disfigured or um, suffers uh, physical or mental disabilities. That's uh, severe bodily harm. And in those cases, the state has to pay for the lawyer. So this is extremely relevant now case particularly for those who don't have legal protection insurance. But even if you do, even even if you have no money and you have uh, in a, a civil uh, code case and you, uh, you have no money and you have a claim to um, um, state subsidies, you st and if you lose the case, you can still you're still obliged to uh, pay for the uh, court cases of the opposing the winning party, and that can be quite seriously. If you argue that you have a very serious uh, damage, so a high uh, compensation claim, then um, the court cost will be uh, really high. Unless you have um, uh, insurance, then of course they will have to cover that. Then if uh, several uh, joint plaintiffs have uh, similar complaints, then they can uh, submit their complaint jointly. For instance, uh, several uh, family members of somebody who was uh, killed, if all the families say we want to be involved in this court case, then they can all uh, uh, submit uh, the uh, complaint. They can have a joint lawyer. Then there's a few legal um, 
aspects of formalities. So everything else is really formalities. Um, you can also um, um, make a um, out-of-court settlement or a settlement. Um, so um, if um, if the defendant um, is actually uh, rueful and they say, okay, I'm willing to pay so and so, such and such a damage, and then the plaintiff can say, okay, I'll accept it. So if it's um, um, even though 10 million won't compensate for the damage I suffered, but still I'll take the money, uh, you could do that under um, a criminal code. Um, and this can also be enforced then. And um, this is the same as in the, the civil case, um, civil code case. So you would have to, in, uh, if necessary, you would have to um, um, send the court bailiff. But if you uh, can't um, settle, then uh, the court may say um, if. Uh, the plaintiff is found guilty in the criminal case, then the court can simply um, rule that the um, um, uh, that the compensation claimed by the joint plaintiff can, um, becomes payable, and this can be enforced then as well. So um, you might say, "Oh, I uh, tr uh, trusted the recommendation of." Uh, um, of such and such an organization, and um, I want to uh, uh, complain, uh, have a complaint against um, the people responsible. Or you could go for, um, after BioNTech, for instance. They uh, never monitored the, the markets. They didn't monitor uh, their production quality uh, properly. There are so many reasons why you could complain. Or the health minister, he said that um, that there were no side effects. You could uh, go after him, and you could actually um, um, sue them. And of course, you have to wait and see what uh, the courts, how the courts rule. And I think that all the vaccination victims in Germany should use this um, possibility and go for several hundred thousands of euro if necessary. Well, if I want to file a criminal suit and I can't get my foot on the ground because of some structures that stop this, probably in civil code I could uh, proceed as well, couldn't I? Well, just imagine the perpetrator is exonerated in a criminal case, which is really um, impossible. If you show, well, probably wouldn't be opened. Um, I tried this and it's not open by yeah, some course. false excuses. Then uh, the civil proceedings are not blocked, are they? Of course. Um, but if you have the case that the perpetrator is uh, legally exonerated, of course, you can go um, to a court of appeals before it becomes um, legally binding. But if at the end of all the processes um, there is an exoneration, then of course you have no chance of uh, winning out in a civil uh, uh, case. Um, then they will only refer to the criminal case. Um, and they'll say, What's, um, what do you want? They've been exonerated. So that wouldn't make much sense, but a, a criminal judge, that's an important um, difference. 
in a civil case, you have to um, submit all the evidence to corroborate your uh, uh, compensation claim. So you have to provide uh, this evidence in principle, but of course, we don't have to go into details here, to be honest, uh, um, spoke about that before. We have, of course, uh, a um, an ease of um, evidence provision under the Medication Act and uh, the Pharmaceutical Act. But in a, a criminal uh, case, um, for um, negligent uh, bodily harm, um, e negligence is enough. And it's uh, not difficult to prove that um, with uh, Pfizer-BioNTech, it's easy to prove that they uh, intended to commit bodily harm if you uh, take your obligations so um, uh, light-hearted, um, then in my book that is intent. And uh, that is what I hear, um, that the vaccination victims are so um, severely affected that they often uh, just one more sentence, that they actually need someone who um, takes charge. So uh, all the uh, victim um, uh, vaccination victims need to give a power of attorney to somebody uh, just in case they um, get to the point where they can't um, delegate their powers anymore so that such a person can take charge of their interests. For the case that um, there are secret studies carried out um, that certain batches contain substances that other stones and the company do, uses this to develop the mRNA technology, would that also be um, intent? Well, well, if they uh, experiment around there, that's completely illegal. And that's the scandal. I don't know. If you've uh, read about uh, what the uh, Federal Court of Administration um, said in their um, um, justification, uh, it's not even uh, corroborated or sustained by law. The Nuremberg Code is binding international law. This uh, derives from Article 7, Sentence 2 of the International Pact on Civil and uh, Civil Rights and Liberties. If you read this, let me call it up, uh, the core of the Nuremberg Code is covered there, and legal experts know that uh, the German uh, basic law uh, says the general uh, laws of international law um, apply directly and immediately to uh, any inhabitants of Germany. And Article 7, let me call it up is also unambiguous, it says. This is the Nuremberg Code. And the Federal Court of Justice says, well, this doesn't apply to civil pharmac uh, pharmacological research, which is really striking. So if um, the Judges say this is really about uh, research. Where's the exception? It's not written in Article 7. It says literally nobody must be exposed to uh, torture, inhumane or um, indignified treatment, particularly. Nobody must be submitted 
to medical or research experiments without their deliberate consent. And what are we talking about here? Obviously, there are many studies that weren't performed. They're not available to this day. This was a huge field experiment. And it wasn't even possible uh, to approve this. Particularly, you couldn't oblige soldiers to get the jab because it still is experimental to this day. This um, arbitrary approval from October 22 doesn't change this because the studies are still not available. And if you read the ordinances, it's all uh, covered by ordinances. The um, unlimited approval is only possible if all studies are available that were required in the context of a restricted approval. And then, only then will there be a final approval. That is the legal situation. This uh, word um, subjected to, isn't that important? Isn't it important that you can't force anybody to do it? Yes, that is clarified by sentence two. In particular, and that's a signal to legal experts, in particular, that's only an example now, in particular, nobody must be submitted, uh, subjected um, uh, without their voluntary consent to medical or scientific experiments. And that's what we have in the army. It's not voluntary. It doesn't say uh, this does not apply to civil uh, pharmacological research. So uh, nothing is civil with the uh, uh, military anyway, and it's not voluntary either because it is uh, ob uh, obligatory for any soldier. So there's no exception for a civil pharmacological research. This is really a, um, um, a blank carte blanche uh, that they're issuing here. Just imagine the case that somebody is not sufficiently informed and he's not uh, forced to take the jab. It is voluntary. They are put into fear and they take the jab. What does that mean? And if they're not informed sufficiently, he, they can't give their uh, proper consent, voluntary consent. <clears throat> That's uh, the civil code. Uh, it says a consent uh, to a, a medical measure, particularly an intervention in the body, um, requires the consent of the patient the um, treat, uh, treating person is obliged to inform the uh, patient um, comprehensively. So, of course, they would have to say that there is a um, restricted approval only, that it's a novel technology, and that they're basically participating in a field test. And if the patient doesn't know, then their consent is null and void. So the physician must not give the jab. They would have had to refuse. So, um, just playing the devil's advocate. Is a, if I, as a doctor, says the government didn't provide this data, the government says this vaccination is good and helps, I told that my patient. So I've explained this. I'm, I've informed. The government says this takes is effective. Did I inform him sufficiently? 
I would say no, because the physician is obliged to um, find out, um, because every physician knows that every uh, vaccination implies uh, side effects. And uh, there are some studies, and they showed a few things, and as long as physicians don't uh, find out about this, if they take their uh, job seriously, they uh, would have to say, oh, I have to refuse to administer this jab. He mustn't say, I'm a physician, and I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, so you can't just simply obey, obey the government, um, because that's an hypocritical oath where they say uh, they have to swear that they don't do anything to harm their patients, not even if the government tells them to. That's a rule in it. So that's no exactly. means, no way to get out, to say, I just did what my, I told that. My patients, I don't have to worry about that. It's not possible. Exactly. Of course, it's the perfect defense for a physician that he can say, I had to refuse to administer the jab. And if they go a step further and issue um, vaccination certs, uh, they can uh, refer to um, uh, emergency assistance, uh, emergency aid. Uh, literature uh, knows this. Um, I participated, and you can uh, call this up. It, it, uh, it only happened yesterday, so we know um, how massive the pressure was on the unvaccinated. And there are, of course, books on this topic by now. But the website, I uh, went along, ich habe mitgemacht, you can um, call it up and you can see it. Okay, it's going to be very interesting to see if you go to this um, obligatory complaint and um, you can do the um, test how far it goes, if it goes to the higher ranking courts and they have to decide, more judges will have to look into this. So I think it's very important, also for historical reasons, to really take uh, to all these resources. Maybe we'll get to the tipping point, maybe it's there and they say, no, no, you have to look. But if they don't, then um, I think they can be forced to um, look at these cases, in concrete cases, <clears throat> to show who, whose side they're on. But that's what they were um, empowered by society to do their job. And judges who do their job, um, and let's assume that there are enough, um, um, there's enough evidence, so the public prosecutors should have started investigating because it's all in the public domain by now. It's unbelievable that no public prosecutor in Germany has dared to start investigating on their, under their own steam. Public prosecutors who noticed, who saw what happened here and didn't start um, prosecutions, uh, for instance, um, the, the members involved in RKI and uh, the uh, vaccination committee, etc. They are all failed in their jobs. They all need to be removed from them. They all failed without proper uh, justice system. A society falls apart. People have to see that the law prevails and is stronger uh, than some lobby interests. And a society where this is um, suspended will destroy itself. But this is exactly what they're uh, 
pursuing, they are trying to uh, disassemble this country internally and externally. Well, if they're afraid to be a conspirational theorist, uh, they are wrong in their job. Yeah, well, uh, one might as well say uh, you are um, a, a conspiracy denier. If you don't accept what I'm describing here, uh, if you look at what I'm presenting here, you have to see that this conspiracy is true. Prosecution is there to find uh, uh, to find this and and not uh, think about it. Exactly, and they have to pursue these theories if they are well proven. Um, um, if somebody says Mr. Woda killed someone, that's pretty abstract. Uh, but if there are concrete uh, evidence, and there is tons of evidence, tons of evidence, then they have to prosecute. They're obliged to do so. And if they don't do that, they um, engage in um, corruption of justice because he covers up severe crime and they enable further severe crime. And I looked at the um, vaccination committee uh, the other day, and that is the next organization I will um, complain against. Just look at what they say. Well, uh, what kind of vaccination lies they refer on, uh, they fall back on, uh, for instance, uh, vaccination of uh, children, of uh, pregnant women, etc. It's loads of fiction. And um, that is not uh, acceptable, really. And I have to keep uh, thinking of um, Shakespeare's saying, hell is empty, all the devils are here. That's what I what I have to think of when I think of the uh, vaccination committee. I really think that hell is empty right now. The devils are distributed among several authorities that are so corrupt to the core that you can only disband them, actually. That's a fact. These institutions have destroyed themselves at the end of the day, and I don't know what they can do with all those uh, people in hell. It's madness if you just imagine in the subway and in the restaurants everywhere, there's everybody just sitting beside each other. They look uh, happily and talk, and it's all the devils on, uh, amongst them. It's incredible what society is doing with itself. <clears throat> when people wake up and realize this fraud in large numbers, then it will get difficult for the perps. So comprehensive um, criminal um, prosecution is the only opportunity that this society has to stop falling into complete chaos. So a justice system that refuses to help the victims and to clarify um, uh, uh, what happened, well, there are things that only public prosecutors can uncover. I can't look at the emails um, by the vaccination committee. Um, I would like to, but um, they might be stupid enough to have uh, mailed this all around the place. A prosecutor once told me um, if they didn't get along with their investigations, they informed the people of the tax office and then they confiscated the documentation. They can do that at any time. What I'm saying, it's about very severe uh, crimes and normally they get active much sooner. If anybody, I won't give any examples now, otherwise some people will record it and then um, make weird claims. It doesn't take a lot. Two 
activate the police and the public prosecutor with anonymous um, um, claims, uh, defamation, and it all leads to uh, home searches, etc. But you can change this if vaccination victims band together and they say, okay, we want to take it to a lawyer. And um, um, even if it's a civil code, um, you might have the court uh, picking up some of the um, the court case, uh, court costs. But uh, regally, uh, uh, normally what happens is that the um, vaccination victims need uh, someone to fight it out for them. Yeah, and we've seen with Alexander Rice that uh, people are so occupied with their own symptoms. He was lucky to come back up. But if you are all down, uh, it's much too worrying and concerning. Uh, this is uh, difficult for people to bear who are at uh, full health. And uh, now if you have to bear with this when you're sick. But I think it's very important, Wilfried, what you have presented, because I think it is actually a good approach to really scrutinize and test the system. And possibly even if um, the tables may be turning, uh, we can uh, achieve major breakthroughs. There is just uh, got it just needs um, a prosecutor close to retirement um, to really um, kick up the mud here. And uh, he doesn't really have to be a whistleblower, but a person who has a backbone still and uh, who wants to um, rule an example here. So maybe a, a judge who has been vaccinated um, has to um, accept that they have been defrauded as well. Oh, he can join. He can join the complaint. Well, you um, uh, doesn't have to answer. Uh, do you? Are you vaccinated as well? Well, then you have to face the fact that you've been defrauded, and. Um, don't um, um, believe that you are well informed if you read um, a news magazine and uh, watched public TV. And that is something that a public prosecutor has to accept that they have allowed themselves to be fooled. Um, so you have to take them by the hand, really. I expect that uh, when I deal with public prosecutors and judges that they know nothing. They're caught up in the um, public, uh, the official narrative because they only consume the mainstream media and you have to tell them the uh, first principles, really. Um, but there are certain rules. Um, um, there are there is enough evidence, and to accept the uh, damage potential of these COVID-19 vaccines when you're vaccinated yourself is a difficult step to take. But that's a personal problem that public prosecutors have to overcome. They should be professional enough to do that to say, okay, well, actually, they uh, would have to say, I'm really irate. Um, I don't uh, understand any of that unless they were all given um, saline solution. A uh, public prosecutor would have to say, really, wait, hold on a second. I trusted this propaganda. They told me that it was helpful, that it was safe, and I was allow allowed myself to be uh, jabbed left, right, and center. And now I see that it's the other way around, that it wasn't safe, that it's very damaging. That is 
pointless and uh, maybe my uh, sister and my father died, they w- really would have to be irate and uh, they would say I have to use all my energy to dig into this and to uh, do something good before I um, go out of this world. So I don't understand the attitude of the public prosecutors. So. How, what kind of an attitude do you have to have in order to accept this self-extinction without uh, looking into it, just saying, okay, what the government say is true? End of story. So I, I don't understand this. It's you know, That's something for psychologists to unravel or all uh, people who want to look into uh, psychology. As a lawyer, I don't have to do that. I just have to make sure that things progress. Very good, very important. Okay, we can look forward to what's going to happen. So, for everybody who is in this situation, there is an offer out uh, to report to you or to um, Ulrich, and um, you should consider taking action, and that may uh, get things to roll. I think it's very important to know. And we have a question here, if the civil uh, case has been turned down, I can not again file this in a criminal court, can I? It's uh, completed and done. Is that right? Well, a um, criminal judge is not bound by um, the civil court findings, so a prosecutor could still investigate. Yeah, but he can't assign a punitive damage as long as no additional damage has turned out. Yes, precisely. They look at different things. Um, A civil code uh, question is whether um, uh, people... uh, Well, this question goes to this adhesion adhesion, uh, proceedings. Yeah, that's uh, cut off. Once you've... um, uh, started civil proceedings, you can't um, use the adhesion procedure. But there are many ins and outs, but that's something that the lawyer has to find out. So uh, in a civil code process, you have a, a very um, a large easing of um, a provision of uh, evidence and um, uh, under certain codes. But those are the questions where I wouldn't expect a, a legal layperson to uh, figure all of this out. Uh, of course, they could uh, buy um, legal commentaries and, and read through this, but once they go to court, uh, they'll run out of steam, I'd say. So they should uh, give power of attorney to someone else in case they uh, are at some stage no longer able to fight their own fight and look for a lawyer that they trust. But it should be a lawyer who actually will have a critical view of these measures of the last few years. Um, It's no good to look for a lawyer who knows nothing about this and can say, my uh, uh, client uh, is doing poorly, I want to have compensation for him, but um, that's no good. But this is what happens a lot of the time. So uh, lawyers who um, are specialized in uh, compensation uh, claims, they should be able to handle the criminal code as well, really. Okay, very good, very important. We'll keep it up. I hope we'll hear of some of these criminal uh, complaints, including the adhesion claims. It's a very important step that you're taking, taking, you're taking good action, as always. Thank you very much for your commitment.
Well, yes, it's, it's very important. It's not legal to just lie to the population, to um, tell them, give them wrong statements. Um, so, I mean, that's what, what the law says, so false facts, but uh, you must not lie to people, basically. And if the Federal Minister of Health um, does that, uh, Article 2 uh, of this uh, ordinance on securing medical supplies uh, made uh, made it possible to distribute this um, stuff, these so-called vaccines. And somebody who distributes that, uh, who legalizes that, must be careful uh, of what they do. They must not distribute false facts. And then there's a uh, an act um, banning the advertising of um, medication, um, so they uh, violated that. And when you see that people uh, die, that thousands of people die, and then you say there's no side effects, well, that on my book, that's a, uh, that's a lie of the century, once you realize that. So whenever, well, we all, we've seen it all before, but to lie to the population in such a fundamental question, that is really um, a quite a bad thing. That's not enough only for um, uh, for stepping down, it's um, uh, enough for much more. And if uh, Parliament is not willing to cooperate, then Parliament has to be disbanded, that we need something new then. So there will be ramifications throughout society. It's just a question of time. We'll just have to wake up. We don't. I don't know what will happen then. But I don't think that uh, people will accept this uh, fraud. We had some other cases of fraud, but people won't take stand for this. Well, I think this is also too close to everybody and to their relatives. So I see good chances that we see an awakening now and uh, that will spread and we'll just have to take action now okay thank you very much Wilfried. Uh, we'll stay in contact and um, observe the following steps that uh, may be taken okay is there anything you want to close with or have you had your final say i think it's very good uh, saying the uh, hell is empty all devils are here I think that is a very appropriate closing word, uh, word and something to think about. Well, what else can I say? Above the um, worldly courts, there's a heavenly uh, judgment. So even if you don't find justice on, our, on earth, we, uh, there's the promise of uh, finding justice in heavens. And that is what uh, keeps me positive as a lawyer, um, because I say, yes, there is a God and he will ensure for justice. He will uh, ensure justice. Don't worry, the things are for us. Yes, there's another great uh, statement by uh, Shakespeare that I can't really quote now, that uh, refers to officials, officials who uh, misbehave so badly that the angels warn them a while people that, that the angels cry sorry and if they had a, a spleen like uh, mortals do uh, they uh, um, uh, the gall would um, rise so we could really um, dispense with any uh, crime story now for the 
near future. Um, so enjoy investigating. We'll see what happens. So thanks for the invite. Yes, and it shows that it's important um, that everybody gets out of the, uh, off the couch. That's what we just said before. And I want to add another Shakespeare quote. Be what you know, what you be, and uh, then you'll be as big as you fear. Maybe that's a bit weird way of saying it, but um, I think that's the point. You just have to outgrow yourself and uh, get into your own power. Viviana, okay, it's coming back to me. Vain man covered in a gown, forgets what is closest to him, his soul, and so he uh, grimaces so that the angels cry. Had they a uh, spleen, they would laugh till they die. So I'm interested to see what the interpreters made of this uh, and what uh, Shakespeare said himself. Well, please bear with me. It's a long time um, since I read this quote, and of course, Shakespeare is still um, quite timely. Uh, Goethe couldn't have said it better. Okay, I think we have one more video clip to finish off with, and uh, that takes us to the end of the session. Thank you for watching, and again, pointing out we can only carry on with our work if we have your financial support. We are still cut off from the means that um, Rainer Filmich has his hands on, and that is why we are depending on your current support, and I'd like to ask you for that. Uh, depart from that, uh, Drawing Dead was the title of the session, and I think really got to a point where the other side has not got very many cards to play out with, uh, especially if the vaccination damage uh, emerges more and more, and I think there's no card up anybody's sleeve, anybody's sleeve to uh, handle this, and I think this is going to manifest further in the next couple of weeks and months. At least that's my assessment. Despite of all of this, I wish everybody a wonderful Friday night and a beautiful and wonderful weekend. See you next week. Heute haben wir ein äh, Verfahren gegen das äh, japanische Regierung eingeleitet, äh, damit die国会は国家の成り立ちの根幹に関わることからであります。しかしながら今回の一件を目撃するにあたって、これは有意識事態、国家の存立に関わる重大な問題であると認識しましたので、意思科学者の立場から、あえて訴訟に踏み切らざるを
赤字で,です、ね、65歳以上では確かにワクチン接種によって致死率が下がっているけど、全年齢では致死率がワクチン接種によって高くなっているわけです、こういうパラドキシカルなことがあるで、そういうことから、じゃあ、そういうすでに致死率についてのデータは公開してました、結局、これはもう,こう、れっきとした公文書で、ところが、昨年のデータでは全部それを削っているわけです。だから実際にワクチン接種によって感染は防げれないけども重症化は防げれるんだ死亡率も下がるんだという説明のもとに奨励されてきて全年齢にこれが行われたわけですよだけど全年齢に打つという根拠はすでに2021年の9月のアドバイザリーボードでそれはもうなくなってるはずなんですねにもかかわらず接種を進めてきたこれは国家の重大な危機だと私は認識するそういうことから今回の訴訟に至ったということです。